Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 211 with my guest Maggie Mull. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace recently launched uh, their latest version of their platform, Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and an incredible feature called Cover Pages. So uh, try the new Squarespace with a free trial at squarespace.com and enter the offer code MENTAL at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Honesty about all the battles in our heads from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. The show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. It's not a doctor's office. I'm not a therapist. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com. Go check it out. Fill out a survey. See how other people filled out surveys. Read a blog. Join the forum. Uh, support the show financially. Um, I'm sure there's something else that I'm forgetting. Oh, you could buy a t-shirt or a coffee mug. Um, let's get to some surveys. This is uh, the struggle in a sentence survey. And this was uh, this one was filled out by a woman who calls herself Sequoia. And about her depression, she writes, like I'm standing in the middle of a freeway. Cars are coming towards me and I can't move. I don't want to move. About being a sex crime victim, she writes, six years old and laying on my back, shaking, hiding, pushing on my stomach. Am I pregnant? Is that how you get pregnant? And then uh, a snapshot from her life, she writes, um, I'm on the floor having a panic attack. I'm crying and breathing is erratic. My body is limp. My sweet two-year-old son standing in his doorway sobbing for me. I have nothing left to give, nothing for him or for me. Knowing how fucking heartbreaking it is, I cry harder, 
feeling like a failure. How selfish of me to lose control in front of him. How is this affecting him? Why can't I just get off the fucking floor and go about my life like everyone else? As I write this, I feel intense guilt and shame. Tears sting my face. I've been fighting mental illness for two years since I had my son. My entire life I've struggled with past issues, sexual abuse, but was a happy, functioning person. From the moment I had my son, it's like my brain just completely flipped. Postpartum depression took a hold of me completely. My doctor has been wanting me to start meds for a year and a half, and I fought him the entire time about it. I'm done. I'm calling him tomorrow. I need to be a good mother. Wow. That is, I'm, we're getting heavy right out of the, right out of the gate. Thank you for sharing that. This is, um, same survey. This is filled out by Liv and, um, about being a sex crime victim. She writes, this is so profound. They pushed themselves inside me and then never left. Um, this is filled out by Paul who, uh, about his PTSD writes, Harvard-trained psychiatrist diagnoses me with PTSD, but I still have to convince my wife. I'm sure there's a lot of people that can relate to that, that have the unsupportive spouse. My heart goes out to them. This one is a snapshot from uh, her having a panic attack, and uh, she calls herself Nervous Wreck. And she writes, I stand, having just passed security, uh, I stand, having just passed security at the Austin airport. Um, palms sweaty, heart pounding, vision blurry, and all the sounds blur together to create an ear-splitting roar. I drop my bags and gasp for air, screaming in my head, help me, please help. They all just stare, because nobody knows how to stop a panic attack. My mom brings me a wet paper towel for my face and sits me down. My grandmother buys me ice cream, because food fixes everything. I realize I will never be an adult. I will never be able to take care of myself if I let the anxiety control me. Oh God, why am I this way? And then this is filled out by Andy and about uh, alcoholism and drug addiction. She writes, ditching my boyfriend, dog, and our cozy warm apartment so I can trek through a blizzard to meet my dealer who is the meanest woman I've ever met and doesn't even know my fucking name. My God, somebody does what... I've been doing. There's shame. You have boundary issues. I feel guilty for hating my mom. I will be high by 4 p.m. You feel helpless. I will be in hell by 4.15. Prison was not easy, but I deserved it. I think I'm just addicted to lying. I rubbed my body in mud and I laid in the swamp. Didn't move for six hours. I looked forward to and dreaded each meal at the same time. I think I desperately, desperately wanted to talk about it but I didn't know how to start the conversation. And that's when I, I called the suicide hotline. A good Craigslist experience is if you are alive at the end of it. So, <laughs> so that is when I first felt love. Like I first felt reaching out to the people and sharing with the other people. Um, this intimate connection where people do stuff for each other without wanting something in return. Yeah, I just, I surrendered. I think I was 28 and that was the first time I ever experienced that. And it was amazing i'm here with maggie mall who did we meet via i know we met via twitter but i can't remember if you tweeted something about depression that i saw somebody retweet or exactly what it was but i was like um 
I went and looked at your your Twitter page, and your tweets were so funny and so self-deprecating. And you mentioned one in there about having depression. And whenever whenever I see somebody in Los Angeles who talks about their depression in a way that's humorous, <laughs> I'm like, direct mail. Yep. I know? tweet a lot about depression, because what else are you going to do with it? That's, you how know? I, that's how I found Matt Oswald, yeah. Yeah. Uh, who was a great guest and a super nice guy. And you're friends with Matt, right? I am friends with Matt. Yeah, yeah. So we, we kind of like have a competition to see whose days are sadder than the other person. You were telling me just before we started recording that you were thinking about canceling because you've been in a bit of a funk lately. Yeah, I've been in a funk. And, you know, I feel like in the way that an alcoholic is kind of always an alcoholic, whether they're drinking or not, I'm always a depressive, but... Right now, it's an active phase, you know? What's it feel like? Um, I have different levels where, you know, for the most part, I'm pretty, pretty mentally aware of, like, meaninglessness just all around me. But then it goes to this next level where it's physical. So right now, I'm, like, in that physical phase where my blood feels heavy, you know? Where, like, yes. carrying myself is oppressive, and uh, that sucks. Is it, would you characterize it more as numbness or sadness or just blah? Right now it's sadness, but the next phase is numbness. You know, like when I stop showering, that's when you know it's it's serious time. Um, but I think circumstantially, I there's a lot going on right now. So I, I know why I'm depressed. What's going on? Just unemployment, generally. Yeah, you're um, a, a writer. I am a writer, uh, so I know that's half of the job, is not having one. Um, and, and when you have depression, you truly believe you're never going to work again? Yes. Yeah. No, I mean you, period, not yeah. the rest of us, just you. <laughs> just me. I'm going to end up moving back in with my parents, uh, taking care of them. You know, the, the fears just avalanche all over me, so... That's that's where I am. Well, I'm sorry you're you're in that right now. I know I know what it's like, and I know you know that you're not alone. But yeah. there's days when even knowing that doesn't doesn't lift anything. Do you have you been? You're the you're the daughter of a uh, entertainment yes. figure. Martin Mull is your dad, so I probably shouldn't even ask you. Have you been to therapy? I just assume <laughs> any kid who was raised oh, in yeah. Hollywood has been to therapy. <laughs> I have. I've been. I've been seeing the same psychiatrist now for ten years. So that's kind of my longest relationship ever with anyone. Uh, and so, and that's saved my life over and over again. I'm a huge believer in therapy and it's actually always so surprising to me when people come back saying that you know they don't buy therapy or they think it's a bunch of hooey because that that possibility has just left my consciousness years ago absolutely do you with your psychiatrist do you do talk therapy with him or her as well or do you have a separate therapist for talk therapy? no i do talk therapy with her and she's very um active in the conversation which i need so it's it's a good so, thing a lot of psychiatrists aren't a lot of psychiatrists are really anemic when it comes to talk therapy yeah no she's great she yells at me and i needed that a long time ago because you know change is hard and when you say yell you mean she just she stressed something or do you yeah, mean she, she like seriously raised her voice 
Well, if I was saying something about like, can you believe so and so did that or said that, she'd say, well, yeah, I can. You know, like she she's a voice of reason, so that I just wasn't giving myself too much credit, and it was a good thing. Yeah, um, she's become much nicer over the years, so I think that means I'm doing better. I hope. I don't know. When did the? Are there any issues other than depression? Um, no, but. It's it's so hard to know, you know, because I'm a terribly anxious person. I have a lot of social anxiety, but I, I never know if that's just me or if everyone feels that way. Um, I was born with club feet, which is a huge thing for me and I think a big reason that I have depression. Um, and there are a lot of sort of things that come with that, but depression's the big one. Did you, I take it you had surgeries for yeah, that? Yeah, I've had a bunch of surgeries. Um, How many? Three, actually. So maybe not a bunch. When, maybe when, more than three. When was the last one? Uh, when I was 12. Uh-huh. But um, they they didn't do it right. So now I have really bad arthritis. and In your in your feet? In my feet. And I'm 28. And it's this, this weird like confrontation with the fact that my body is going to shut down slowly and I'm going to have to like witness it. Cause you know, it's a degenerative mean, disease, um, of, of the feet or, uh, it's osteoarthritis. So it's, I mean, it's in all the joints of my feet, which sucks. So how long when you're on your feet until you're in pain? Um, I don't know. I always try to the best way I know how to explain it um, is that I remember in a science class learning that the planets, when they're moving, that they make a sound, but that, you know, we never hear it because we've always heard it. So with my feet, I was born with them, and I imagine that I'm always in pain, but I don't know, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll never know what normal feet feel like. Um Unless they were to drastically improve, and then you would be able to look back and say, oh my God, I remember what they used to. Sometimes you don't feel something until you feel better. Yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't know how serious my depression was until I went on meds the first time yeah. and, and was like, oh, this is what normal people feel. <laughs> and I would laugh freely at oh things. Oh my God. And it was like, yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. Um, that is true. You know, I did. I took a painkiller one night when they were really bugging me. And I remember waking up in the morning and not like being able to just get out of bed because normally it takes me a while. Like my bones kind of have to crack back into place and it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, this one morning I didn't have to do that. And I was like, oh, my God, this is why everyone's not as tired as I am all the time. You know, this how, is how much do you sleep? A lot. I sleep a lot. Um, like how much? Like, uh, it, well, it, it, I kind of just like sleep the way that most people are supposed to eat meals, like a few small meals throughout the day. Like I'll sleep eight hours, but then I have to take a two hour nap, occasionally a second nap. It sucks. I would love to just go through a day actively. And when that feeling comes that you need to take a nap, is it um, a mental need, a physical need or both? Or emotional? God. I don't know. Probably all three, right? I usually have to take a nap. This is crazy. I have to take a nap like 
after a long conversation. Like if we were having this during the day, I would go home and be exhausted afterward. A lot of guests have told me that really? they, that they've gone home after afternoon interviews of this and slept for four hours. That's what, yeah. And then they tell me it's because I was boring. <laughs> I, I, they're kidding, right? Yes. You're the, okay. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, there's times when I unloaded stuff that was really heavy in therapy, and I had, especially after I did EMDR around my mom. And um, what's that? Uh, EMDR uh, is eye movement desensitization reprocessing and basically what they do is you go through traumatic you talk again about events in your life that were traumatic but the therapist is doing something either with her finger or an object that's moving left and right yeah and you follow it with your eyes and something about making your eyes move while you talk about it reprocesses it in your brain and it rewires the trauma and it works it does i i left that therapist before i really got to experience yeah. great great change from it um because she wasn't very attentive and a bunch of other reasons but um people i know i've, I've never heard of anybody doing emdr hmm. that says that it was uh, a bad experience or waste of a waste of time interesting it's supposed to be really really good for ptsd yeah yeah um but uh, my point was sometimes after those sessions, I would go home and uh, and sleep. You know, get up at noon, go to the appointment at two o'clock, three o'clock, lay back down and sleep until yeah. six. Three o'clock is the magic hour when either I can maybe push through, but usually I have to lay okay. down and sleep. What time do you get up? In the mornings, I usually get up at eight and and think I'm today's the day. You know, I'm going to join the world today, and then. I go back to bed and I'll get up at like 1030. Um, so that that's where I am at right now. When I have a job, which means once I have a job, I'm not depressed because I feel like I have a point. Um, so when that happens, I'm fine. I can get up. With so where do you find worth in yourself outside of being uh, being employed? I don't. I think that's the problem. Um I don't know. Give me some you know, snapshots, as uh, we like to say. On the how many uh, uh, you've listened to the podcast? Yes. Uh, how many episodes do you think you've listened to? Probably like fifteen. Okay, so you're familiar with the talk about seminal moments in your yeah in your life. Um, what are, what are some that that stand out? Well, I've I've been thinking about it a lot because you had mentioned you know trying to bring some ideas in and. I think one of my problems is that a lot of the things that bother me most, and I guess it makes sense, are the things that I was born with and can't change. Um, so my feet and the fact that I'm an only child is a huge thing for me. Um, How so? I think a lot of my, uh, just all the issues I have with relationships, friendships, uh boyfriends, etc., come from not being around people when I was a kid. Um, Where were your parents? They were around, but it's just different, I think. Um, and are, they, are they kind of um, with, withdrawn, uh, laconic? God, no. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It probably would have been better. Um, but uh, no, they're very both exuberant and involved. So I think that's a big thing and you know a lot of people 
equate certain traits with only children, which I understand. Like, spoiled, yeah, we probably are. Um, Self-centered, yes, definitely. Um, But there's also negatives to always having all eyes on you all the time. So if you're ever to slip up, it's just magnified. Um, And so you kind of become someone who's terrified of making a mistake ever. Perfectionism, nothing will make you more tired than perfectionism. That's exactly right. It's like a car revving at 6,000 RPMs all day long. Yeah. I used to, when I was woodworking, um, I would be so excited. I'd drink a cup of coffee, and I'd be so excited to get out into the garage to go woodwork. And I would look at a pile of boards, and I would think about what I was going to make. And then I would think about a mistake I might potentially make oh, yeah. and the wood I would waste. Mm-hmm. And I would sit there frozen for 15 minutes and I would go back in the house and take a nap for three hours. <laughs> well, that's exhausting. It's exhausting going through the whole process, even if it's just in your head. Yeah. Um, I get it. And it's just, it's impossible. I mean, it keeps you from doing everything, even if you know it's an illusion, you know? I don't know yet how to get over that. The interesting thing is, is my experience is there is no reaching it intellectually. Yeah. The only way to reach it is emotionally. And for me, through connecting to other stories that reflect my own, that where I feel yeah. that I'm not alone, not where I'm told that I'm not yes. alone. Yes, yes. Um and helping somebody else by sharing my pain, my struggle, my embarrassments, and seeing a glimmer come on in their eye. That, right. that to me, is hugely energizing. I get energized doing this this podcast. Yeah. People say sometimes, you know, isn't it tiring talking about that stuff? <laughs> it's If I were just to read all the stuff yeah. that we talk about, I think that would be tiring, but making the eye connection yeah. with somebody as is is energizing so that's that's my experience with that but um yeah, you, I, you can't get there intellectually no it there's something it, it, i don't know i mean maybe it's just because as a society people never talk about the sad facts of life you know people don't discuss really that like loneliness is a given and that happiness sort of isn't a real thing it's no fleeting. One, yeah no one really wants to talk about that so when you meet someone else who's a depressive or whatever it's nice it's like a breath of fresh air where you're like oh my god isn't everything terrible yeah it is <laughs> i get it you know is there you strike me as having a positive light inside you though <laughs> that yeah. Because you don't strike me as nihilistic. You don't strike me no. as uh, that it's pointless, but you strike me as somebody who's got a war going on inside themselves. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's the constant. Um, and in every way possible. It's weird. I mean, the funny thing is with my feet, one foot is a lot worse than the other. Um, so half of my body sort of leans to the side. It's so slight. I, of course, like think it's obvious and everyone like runs for the hills when they see me. But everything about me feels like it's split down the middle. Um, really? Yeah, it's a weird thing. I And I was thinking about it actually today, like being an only child, I 
have this desire to, you know, I need a lot of time to myself. But there's another side of being an only child that means that I have an immense desire to have my own family. So those two things are constantly at odds with one another. Like, I want to be alone. I want a partner. And I just, I it gets in the way of everything. It's one of the worst wars that, that, that we can go through yeah. is I want to connect to people and I want to be left alone. Totally. Yeah. My, I, my dad's solution was that he would have us, he and my mom decided to live separately sometime in the 90s. And so he had his own place. And he would, his favorite time was to have everybody over, but ignoring them. Just to hear <laughs> yeah. life going on around him. And I'm kind of that same way. Like yeah. one of my favorite things to do is to go to a coffee place. Oh, yeah. And take my laptop or whatever, or, you know, Kindle and read. Right. And just have the bustle around me, but to not have somebody bug me. I'm totally the same way. I, I have a really hard time working at home. Um, I can't. I can't. I have to go to a cafe. Um, but it's, it's you know, like, if someone doesn't, if I don't get a phone call during the day, it's, uh, I'm crestfallen. But if a phone call does come through, I'll usually send it to voicemail. And like, that's just, I, that's the metaphor for the nightmare. I think, <laughs> I, I think it's that we want to be left alone, but we, we want to know we're wanted. Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, I, I think a lot of times I push people away because the thought of loving them as much as I know is possible is really scary to me. You know, like... How, how so? I just think I probably could love someone like so intensely and creepily. And I think if they were to leave me, it would be horrifying, you know? Have you been abandoned? No, but again, I think it's the thing, you know, when I was a young kid, maybe like eight or seven, um, my mom was out of town and I think my dad, he had like a cold or something happened where he was sick. And it, ever since then, I've been like, are you allowed to swear on here? Yeah. I've been really fucked up, yeah. I think, because I had this fear at that time that like something was going to happen to him and I'd be all alone because they were both gone. I don't have siblings. Um, and now that they're getting older, it's becoming like ever more of a reality. I don't know what to make of it, but... That's got to be terrifying, having parents aging when you're an only child. It is. They're also... I mean, they're not that much older, but I'm 28. My dad's 72. So I, I think they're a little bit older than average. Um, but yeah, it is. It's really scary. And I, I don't know what... I don't know how to fully handle it yet, I think. Uh a couple of questions I had about uh, your your feet. Were you ever made fun of as a kid um, for it? No, I wasn't, which was nice. Um, thankfully, I've always gone to really sort of pretentious hippie schools where, uh -huh. you know, every there like are no grades and you call everyone by their first name. Um, so everyone was really nice. Um, I think... You know, a lot of people have parents who are like, you can do whatever you want. Like, you know, your back is broken, but you go out and you be a hiker. But for me, it was more like, don't do that. Like, your feet are a problem. You shouldn't be a runner. You shouldn't do this. You know, they're going to keep you from doing this. So 
that was the only thing was that I sort of grew up thinking, okay, I'm, I'm different and I have limitations. Is that a, is that a bad thing? I don't know. I don't know. Um, it, it's true. Yeah. I mean, it is true. There, are, I'm. I will never be a runner, um, and I'm actually totally fine with that. I don't really want to be a runner, um, but there, there definitely was. I don't. I don't know yet. Maybe after the final surgery, let's say you go to a pool or someplace. It. Is there anxiety? Do your do your feet um, yes look different than other people's feet? <laughs> they don't look crazy, and most people say they don't even re- see it. Um, but it's really funny you should say that because re- honestly, like a month ago, I was in Ojai on a weekend trip and at the pool, and the women in Ojai, it's just like so much lean muscle and taut arms, and they look amazing and. I just feel like a sort of mutant. You know, I feel very like elephant man-esque just because I'm not overweight um, and it's I'm, I'm fine, but I feel that I look very grotesque. I think that's the word. Or damaged. Damaged is the word. And... You're all of you or just your feet? I think all of me because that's the foundation. So... When something's wrong at the bottom, it, it, it crawls up, you know? Um, and it's interesting because I know a lot of people turn to exercise. Like Matt uh, Oswald, he was talking about how he works out a lot. Um, but I, one, can't really do that. Um, and two, it's very sort of dissatisfying to work out knowing that even if I was like, super fit and looked great, I will always still have something wrong. Um, And it's a weird reality that I'm not Zen enough yet to accept, I think. You know what I mean? Like, even if everything in my life was going great, I still have this thing. Um, It's like a thorn in, in my paw eternally don't you think that everybody to some degree is a three-legged dog it's just what what's the leg yes that's missing yes i don't know anybody that doesn't have a part of them that feels empty or lacking um maybe it's evolution that because we were the ones that got up out of fear or emptiness and it's really kind of surprising that the depressive gene propagated at all yeah do you think it's a gene? I think, and from what I understand, most of science believes that it's a gene that can be switched on or off by environment. So it's there, and in some people it may or may not be triggered. Right. And the degree to which it expresses itself is also related to the intensity of the what right. turns it on, the the environment. Yeah. Um that that's kind of that makes sense to me. Yeah, but I hope that I almost hope that's true in a do weird way. Do either of your parents uh, yes. suffer from depression? I think they both do, and I think they both always have. Um, and I I didn't know it, and I don't think they knew it either until you know, I be, until I became very depressed at the age of seventeen, and you know had to be 
treated for it. Um, and then I think my family had to sort of like take a look at what was going on. Um, my dad is a very hard worker. So I think that's how he deals with everything. Um, but growing up, you know, I think my mom was depressed at times. And I think my dad being a comedian is incredibly cynical, which is actually something I like. And I'm very cynical and it's funny and it's a fun character to play. But, uh, you know, I, I, rem I have a very distinct memory as a kid and I wish I remembered which parents said which, but one of them had said, like, don't worry, Maggie, like tomorrow will be a better day. And the other parent was like, you know, don't tell her that. That might not be true. And so that was sort of like what I grew up with, which, you know, yeah, they they were right. But I I would maybe rather not have known. Yeah, maybe a better thing to say would have been everything changes. Nothing <laughs> stays the same forever. Yes. Um, but that was the kind of thing, you know, that I, I heard a lot of. And it's made me who I am. And in some ways, I'm grateful to not be naive about certain things. And in other ways, I, I wish I felt that things were worth doing more, you know, like it's hard to inspire myself to do anything that I heard Andrew, you know who Andrew Solomon is? No, he wrote uh, the noonday demon. Mm. And he was yeah. in a Ted talk. And he said, the opposite of depression isn't happiness, it's vitality. Huh. And I just yeah. went, yes. Yeah. Yes. Because uh, when I'm feeling passion, it's, that's like all I ask for. Isn't it the best? It's the best to feel inspiration to. Yeah. And when that negative voice in my head tells me I'm lazy, in the last couple of years, it said, no, you're just going through a phase where the inspiration isn't there because right. when the inspiration is there you're in the wood shop for eight straight hours making yeah. furniture you're playing music for for five straight hours recording music right. writing songs you know etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah um so i think i think we have to remember sometimes and, and be gentle with ourselves are yeah. you ever gentle with yourself no I'm really, I mean, that's the biggest problem is I, I actually have like a running monologue and I'm sure many people do of just like, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're a loser, you're an idiot, where those words actually, you know, play out. Um, and it's not good. I, I, but the problem is, I mean, it's sort of like God, where a part of me is like, I wish I believed in God. But I just can't. Like, I just can't force myself to believe in something I really don't believe in. Um, and that's how I feel about my self-worth. <laughs> it's awful. But, uh, and at the same time, I mean, I shouldn't say that because there are times when I'm feeling better or I'm doing things where I feel like, yes, I can, I can do this. Or, yes, I'm finally on the right track. I have sort of this, like, ongoing... Um, desire i think to feel like i've finally arrived or like i can finally start my life like now it's really beginning and every time that happens the record skips you know and like i had a writing job on a tv show and then i was like yep that's it i'm a tv writer and then the show got canceled and you know so it's it's an ongoing thing um 
but I think I think that's that's also why I get tired and why I don't do a whole lot is just that I, I told this to my psychiatrist the other day like I, I sometimes I feel like my full-time job is convincing myself why I should try to do something oh my god do you know what I mean do I know what you <laughs> like, mean Oh my god, like, you, that you just hit the fucking <laughs> nail on the head. Yeah. I am so tired of that argument in my head. Yeah. And the other voice saying, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. What's the point? What's the point? I mean So you die with a dirty house. So you <laughs> so you don't, you know, yeah. expand this. So you don't do something with that thing that you created. Right. I I, I mean that before and I think a lot of people who don't get depressed, don't know about that thing that you have to do every day. I mean, again, like with the, being an alcoholic, like even when I'm, I'm not actively depressed, the first thing I have to do every morning is convince myself there's a reason I should get out of bed. Yeah, me too. And it makes you a good person in some ways because you approach every day with meaning you mean to get up yeah but it's, it's not a given. exhausting too it is exhausting because everything is an argument everything's an argument with yourself and it's just like shut up self yeah you like, know like i look at people uh, you don't mind if i take my shoes off no, and i'm please. not doing it to <laughs> to brag shame you, shame you about your feet but i'm just gonna stretch out my mm. very normal feet go for it <laughs> Oh, look at them. They look are normal. Them. I look actually, at those arches. I have actually always hated my toenails. I used to be really? ashamed of my toenails. I still am a little bit. Cause what's, they, what's wrong with them? They're, they're um, kind of uh, large and flat. Like my big toe, the toe on, the toenail on my big toe mm -hmm. is like the size of a quarter. Interesting. And it's very kind of flat. Is it convex? No. Do you know what I mean? Okay. No. Um but I used to, th I, I just, no, but no ki other kid at the pool had toenails that looked like mine. <laughs> I used to, and some of them had just these little tiny, mm -hmm. skinny little toenails. Oh, and yeah. And I wanted those so badly. <laughs> That's so funny. What I wouldn't give for quarter toenails. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I have a pinky toenail that sort of looks like an apple seed. You know, it's like triangular and frightening, so... <laughs> It, I'm not even going to show it to you, but it's there. You, you can, sure you don't want to show no, it to I me? I really don't want to. It's a, ter it's, it's frightening. Yeah. Have you ever had anybody um, look at your feet and and like a trusted friend and just kind of hold hold your foot or a boyfriend you know, and and say? Uh, I I had one friend in college named Alyssa who was the only person in my whole life, I mean, maybe outside my mom, who was aware of my feet in a way that, like, I think most people, it's weird. I, everyone knows about them, but I don't think anyone really thinks that I have this problem because I don't, like, I don't talk about it because what's the point? I don't know. Because you can't change it? I can't change it. And also, like, discussing pain with someone is almost impossible because... Uh, they'll never know because it's so subjective it's so subjective and i think yeah i wouldn't even know how to explain it so i just don't attempt to um 
So it's more the the issue that you have your with your feet now is the pain they cause than how they look. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, th- how they look sucks, but it's actually not that bad. Most doctors say I'm pretty lucky, but um, yeah, uh, the pain sucks. Some days I can't walk, and I have to, you know, like it's just weird. Um, but it also really surprises me because. And I've said this to to boyfriends in the past, like, if they had told me that they had this one thing on their body that hurts, I would beeline to that part of their body and, and know that, okay, like, here's my project that I can help them feel better. I'm massage it. Yeah. I'm going to ask, can I get you something from the store? Yeah, exactly. Like, it almost makes it easier to know that there's something that you can do for them. It's um, tangible. Yeah. And for whatever reason... No one's ever really done that for me. Um, And I think it like, I think it hurts my feelings deep down because it's almost like most of the guys I'm with want to pretend it's not there. And I've spent a lot of time in my own life doing that. And now I'm like, okay, I can't pretend anymore. But... Well, you know, isn't that what we hope to get from our partner is for them to see our pain and to feel it with us oh yeah i mean i think i think about relationships probably more than anything and what the right partner is um i was engaged once i had i called it off and that was an incredibly terrible experience um but why did you call it off i i i just wasn't ready i i don't know i i just wasn't there yet i was 26 which you know isn't young in some parts of the world. And How long were you together before? Only about a year and a half. So I think that had to do with it too. But I, I had, a, I still had a lot of like growing up to do, and I wasn't fully myself yet. And I also, you know, I don't think I was lonely enough yet. I think you kind of have to experience that painful loneliness. I couldn't agree more because I think if you get into a relationship to fill some part of you mm-hmm. that. As opposed to it adding yeah. adding to your life. Mm-hmm. If you want it to fill your life, I think it's going to be a disaster. And so often I think if we choose someone place from a place of neediness yeah. rather than I want to give to this person and share my life with them, um, it usually tends to be that we pick somebody who is unavailable and it's a fantasy right. that we're actually trying to change somebody from our past right. who hurt us yeah. who wasn't available. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone I've ever dated, I can look at and say, mother, father, mother, father, in terms of, you know, who they're the most like and probably why I was with them, you know, looking for that thing that you just you don't get from another person. And that's OK. But have you ever been in a support group? No, I probably should be. Have huh? you ever have you ever considered it? <laughs> yeah, but what I think I don't know for what for depression. You think I don't know. Um, I don't either. That's the problem. Like, do you have any addictions? N- no, I once considered going to a sex addicts meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I don't think I was actually a sex addict, I think I just tended to. I think that was my natural antidepressant for most of my life. Um, but 
was it being promiscuous looking at pornography yeah if, most, you're, if you're comfortable sharing. yeah i mean god i looked at pornography a lot but also just i always had a boyfriend or you know i and and that's why i say i don't think i was a sex addict because i never i've never had a one night stand so i think you know i'm very careful with who i was with and it usually accompanied love but i i think it was lust and not love and i got very confused about might that might be a might be a, a sex and love addict because yeah. um, many love addicts are fiercely fiercely monogamous yeah but they choose unavailable person after unavailable person and there's an emptiness in them that they that they try to fill yeah and they kind of you know assign magical qualities to this person and then that person can never live up right live up to that yeah the idea that they've created in their mind that they're going to get from this person yeah um so i don't know it's a it's a thought but there's a ton of great um support groups uh out there yeah it's probably a good idea um cuz i outside of my therapist i i don't know who to talk to about mm. most things you know i appreciate you saying that um on the mic yeah because um a lot of people have such shame around sex yeah and oh i mean i do but yeah. i'm trying to get over that <laughs> Well, I, to to say that out loud, especially as a woman, because we're oh, yeah. so slut shame in yeah. our in our society. But I struggle with with pornography. Um, yeah, it's I go through phases that are um, addictive, and uh, where I just feel completely ashamed and and um, yeah, you feel ugh, it's a terrible feeling. Um, and it's very empty after the orgasm. You just feel um, after the all the you know hormones and i forget what the one is that that feels so good that Ser serotonin i don't even yeah, know serotonin and there's another one um i forget what it's called oxytocin oh yeah um when they go away it's like the person that used ecstasy the day after oh yeah it's so it's like feeling feeling hung over right and well, it's such a waste of time it is um you mean the shame part or the the porn part well, depending on how much time yeah. like if you're just you know i'm having trouble sleeping i'm gonna watch five minutes of porn jerk off yeah. and that'll help me sleep yeah doing that once in a while i don't see any problem with that or you know my partner and i want to you know explore this right certain thing we're going to watch something together yeah. or i think if it's if it's done in moderation you know put aside the fact whether or not people are being exploited in the right, business right, itself right. put that aside <laughs> just assuming everybody is happy and healthy right, yeah um I, I i don't see anything wrong with it but for me yeah it's not something that is okay because i can't do it in moderation and it right. comes from a place of emptiness yeah well because it's it's an it's a quick fix um i think i've always done it actually in moderation i've, I've never gone overboard but like you said being a woman i feel a lot of shame because it feels deeply unfeminine and i can tell you i know a ton of women that look at pornography yeah. and the surveys that people fill out on the show um it's pretty equal 
for the really hardcore stuff, right? Some of it even illegal. <laughs> it's pretty evenly split between men That's and women that, that watch it. That makes me feel better. Yeah. Um, Do you watch stuff that that where you're like, I can tell people that I look at pornography, but I could never tell them yes, what, it, what it is that, that I'm looking at. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So it's it's fruitless for me to to ask you. Oh yeah, no. Um, but even you know, like even when I I called my engagement off. A lot of it was just knowing, like, I if I was to get married, then I wouldn't be faithful because I, I just still had that urge in me. Um, and I went into a deep depression because I was like, I'm not a woman. What what woman doesn't want to get married because she wants to have promiscuous sex? That's crazy. Like, I punished myself so intensely for that for a very long time. Um I've talked to many women who feel yeah. that exact same way. Yeah. Um, exact same way. And I'm coming around now, you know, where the thought of having sex with people doesn't actually appeal to me anymore because I'm more and more aware of what it doesn't do for me. Um, so it's interesting because I think I finally hit a part of my life that I never thought I'd actually get to how many um, how many cats are you up to <laughs> i've got zero cats i should have a dog i think that would probably help me dogs a lot are the best but i can't have them in my apartment so um let's go back to when you were a kid any uh, give me some snapshots some some seminal moments oh god most of the seminal moments are tied to humiliation here, I wrote some things down so that I didn't forget. Let's see. We're going to actually take a little pause right here and give some love to our uh, sponsors. Uh, Sherry's Berries. If you guys have never had Sherry's Berries, let me tell you what you are missing. They are giant, freshly dipped strawberries starting at just nineteen ninety nine, and that's over 40% savings. If you go to berries.com and click on the microphone and uh, type in our code MENTAL, uh, like I said, you can get it for nineteen ninety nine, and uh, you can double the berries for just ten bucks more. But you have to use that code uh, mental. They are delicious strawberries dipped in white milk and dark chocolatey goodness. They're topped with chocolate chips, decorative swizzles, or nuts. Um, first time my wife and I tried them, my wife bit into one and she turned to me and first of all she said to me, "You're a disappointment as a husband," but then she said. And God damn, these berries are so fresh. And uh, I had to agree with her on both of those, on both of those things. They are so delicious. So go check them out. Get them for somebody you love or get them for yourself. Show yourself some self-love. Why not be your own best friend? You're standing right there. So visit berries.com. That's B-E-R-R-I-E-S.com. Um, click on the microphone in the top right-hand corner and type in the word mental. And uh, if you don't want to use the internet, you can call 866-FRUIT-02, and uh, zero is E-R-O. Um, yeah, go check them out. Order today. Want to uh, also give some love to Squarespace. I don't know if you guys caught their ads during the Super Bowl, but they're doing the uh, series called Dreaming with Jeff. And uh, there's a website called dreamingwithjeff.com, and it was all built uh, through Squarespace. And it's an album of relaxing sounds, guided meditations, and stories. 
And uh, you can visit uh, dreamingwithjeff.com to listen for free or pay what you want to download. And on top of that, all the proceeds go to the charity group No Kid Hungry, which is awesome. And maybe uh, seeing how beautiful their websites are will inspire you to go build your own website. And through Squarespace, you can do it uh, with a free trial, no credit card required. Have at it. It's easy to use and customize, and it'll look beautiful on any device because they have a variety of really cool templates. Um, As I've mentioned before on the podcast, I went and created uh, my own website to show off my dog pictures, uh, and that website is paul-gilmartin.squarespace.com. And I just recently added music that I've been doing. I think I shared... uh, uh, last week that I've been coming out of my depression and starting to play music again. So um, it it was super simple putting my music up there, putting my pictures up there, and I highly recommend Squarespace to uh, to build a website. So go to squarespace.com, build your own website, and enter offer code MENTAL at checkout to get 10% off and to show your support for the show. Squarespace, start here. Go anywhere. I, I think a lot of it had to do with my parents and a lot of most of the seminal moments as a kid had to do with sexual stuff i got caught looking at porn when i was like 10 um how did you you find it i don't i you know i probably just typed dicks into the internet um and what sucks is that it was such a new thing then that the computer crashed a couple weeks later my parents came to me and they're like the computer crashed were you looking at dirty websites and i said yes not realizing then that like that probably had nothing to do with it, you know, um, but just the deepest humiliation having to say that to your parents. Well, did they did they shame you? Uh, or was it their lack I, of telling I, you, know you that it was I think normal? I was grounded. Yeah. Um, and there was another thing that happened when I was 12 where I had, you know, uh, some it wasn't sex, but it was like a hand job or something. And somebody told their mother and their mother told my mother. And I came home from school one day and she was crying about it. That you had given somebody a hand yeah, job? Yeah. And so, again, deeply humiliated. Had you, when you had done that, it, was it something that you felt coerced into or was it a genuine? Not at all. It okay. was, I mean, looking back, I was like, well, I was a 12-year-old girl. I I liked boys. I was fascinated by boys. I've always been fascinated by boys. Um, I don't. I don't know. What do you mean when you say fascinated? Like I just the, the body. Like I think. I think part of the reason I don't feel feminine is like I'm very attracted to the male body, and most girls I know think it's disgusting, and I think it's just cool. Like I. I've always thought it was like a cool looking thing, and. I think, yeah, at the time, I was just super hormonal and weird, and I got in trouble, and it sucked. When you had um, typed dicks in, was it because you, <laughs> you didn't have any brothers and you wanted to see what one looked like? Probably. Pro- I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Uh, well, I, you know, I didn't have sisters, and I was the yeah. same. I've been... I know there, this probably d- d- describes 90% of men, but... Um, since I was five years old, all I wanted to do was see vaginas. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, same. Five years old, probably that young. I remember uh, when I was six, there was a mom over and she had 
her daughter with her and her daughter was peeing in the bathroom. The door was shut and I opened the door because I wanted to see her pee. And well, <laughs> you know, the parents don't set, sit you down and tell you, oh, by no. the way, you should never do this. Of course not. So I was shamed for, yeah. for doing that. But I was like, I want, you know. And a girl next door had done the "You show me yours, I'll, I'll show you right. mine," and it was like a like Pandora's box. Yeah, you know, not to. <laughs> uh, it was like it was opened, right. and I became uh, that. That was my first drug. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I think there is a thing with with kids that a are kind of lonely, mm-hmm. b feel kind of different, and c don't have a sibling of the opposite sex where yeah. it's uh, shown in a manner that's healthy. Right. I um I went to uh the doctor like uh not that long ago, a couple weeks ago and we were talking and he was like, "Do you smoke?" and I said, "No." And he said, "Do you drink?" and I said, "No." Um I which was just a recent thing I stopped doing, but he was like I I was like, "No, I really just have sex. That's my one vice." And he looked at me really funny. He was like, why is that a vice? And it didn't even occur to me that that was a weird thing to say. You know, it was a weird moment because I was like, I guess I don't know why that's a vice. But I always thought of it that way. It's interesting, too, that, you you know, you have parents who I'm assuming are extremely liberal. Yeah. That they, where would that where would that come from? I have a Mexican grandmother um, who is... I think has very traditional, you know, sort of values that aren't necessarily religious, but I think, you know, she came to this country that like every family should be two kids, white husband, you know, everything looks perfect. That's the American dream. Um, No promiscuity. So she sort of fed that to my mom who fed that to me and, you know. What, I don't know. What kind of porn do you think your grandma looks at? It's got to be pretty <laughs> well, tame. Yeah. I, <laughs> I I honestly couldn't tell you. I, it's just, I, I've, this is a new thing that I'm able to talk about this, I think, because for a long time, I, I just felt like a monster. Um, but recently I've, I've sort of come out of that and been like, ah, oh, fuck it. Like, so what? Like, so I was an early bloomer in that area. I felt Um, like a monster most of my life. Yeah. Most of my life. It's a terrible shame to carry around. It is. It's It's so ugly, too. Like, you just feel like you have slime in your veins. It's hard to make eye contact. Yeah. You know, until I started getting, uh, going to support groups and really opening up and understanding how alone I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, have I been able to make eye contact huh. with people? And, yeah. You know, the longest I could handle it for was like <laughs> three seconds. Interesting. And then it would just be like, oh my god, I can't, I can't stand this. It's they're they're going to see into hmm. my soul, and they're gonna they're gonna know they're gonna see that I'm a horrible person. Do you ever find though that there are still certain people you can't make eye contact? Oh with? yeah. Isn't that yeah. weird? What but, is that? But I don't feel that that I'm the one who is you know who i get that way with is people that are sharing something with you where they're starting to laugh and they want you to laugh along with them but oh, it's yeah, not yeah. funny <laughs> that's i have to look yeah, away because yeah. i can't 
I don't That's, know what to do because I, I don't want to hurt their feelings, but I don't want to be phony. It's just not funny at all. It's I really, know. it's it's like hanging around at a friend's play that was awful. Oh, God. And you don't know what to say to them. Yeah. Um, Which is every every play. <laughs> 90% of them. Yeah. 90% of them. Um, but uh, shame, whatever, whatever shame it is over our feet or you know, what we look at or... Um, what other people have said about us, it's the hardest thing to let go of. It it's, really is. It's a tattoo on yeah. our soul. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I, you know, and I'm sure you're the same way. Like, I read a lot about depression. I read a lot of philosophy about just trying to find that one thing that I can make my purpose or that I can believe in, you know? Um, I don't even know where I was going with this. Um, okay. Oh, but yeah, and, and so much of it is about accepting yourself and feeling comfortable in your own skin. And again, I don't know. I feel like I, I can, can strive towards it. I don't think I'll ever be comfortable in my skin. I disagree. <laughs> I think you could. Yeah. But I don't think you're going to get there intellectually. Yeah. That's interesting. Because um, that was my experience. Really? Oh, yeah. For 15 years, you know, I went into therapy at 24 and it wasn't until I got in a support group for drinking and drugging at 40 yeah. that I truly began to unnumb and feel people's love Yeah, because I couldn't, they had to love me first. Yeah. I could not love myself first. There was yeah. no way. There was way too many walls. And I, you know, I read books and I sat in my chair and thought about myself and tried to get there intellectually and I couldn't yeah. I couldn't and I still sometimes will try to pull myself out of if if I start to spiral down I will try to pull myself out intellectually and I can't I got to pick up the phone yeah and I got to ask somebody else how are you doing I got to do huh. something nice for somebody or I got to spill the beans and say you know I'm just beating myself up today or yeah. I'm you know here's this thing I did that I think was kind of shitty um, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. it is, A, B, and C. Um, share some other, some other snapshots. Um, Am I cutting a thread no, off? No, actually, yeah. Well, what I was just thinking was that the only times I actually feel okay is when people are complimenting me, and it's a really weird thing because a part of me is like, well, because I'm I'm feeling love, I'm feeling important, and that's good. But at the same time. Everyone else says you should never base your self-worth on what other people say. And yet, that's all. that is that is what I base my self-worth on. And most, I'm sure a lot of people do, you know. But I'm not really much of anything unless someone tells me I am. I, You know, my feeling on it is it's part of the meal. It's just an awesome side dish. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And the, you know, the entree has got to be how we feel about ourselves. But I... I, if people didn't compliment me, I couldn't, I, I needed it. I right? need it. I need it too. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah. But that alone it, it will, will never be enough because yeah. that negative voice in our brain can pick apart anything. Yeah. When people would say, oh, I love your TV show, your, you know, blah, 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 blah. 
my first thought was, oh, they're a fucking idiot. <laughs> They've got bad taste. Right. They, oh, yeah. They, you know, or they clearly didn't see last week's episode because yeah. I was a fucking douchebag on it. <laughs> you know, it was so rare that I could that I could take it in and, yeah. and feel it. Yeah, that's... Uh... What, are, what are positive things that you feel about yourself? I don't know. It's, you know, I... Sometimes I feel like, you know, in terms of writing, like I've always wanted to be a writer and I always feel that I'm actually capable of writing something very funny, really good. I think that I think inside of me is something good that I could give. But I my fear is that I will never allow myself to work hard enough to get it. You know, or to find it, or to unearth it from wherever it is. But aren't aren't you doing it? You you wrote on a show. You showed up to yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. You didn't blow it off. Um, you've, you've got videos on YouTube. You've got a, a great Tumblr blog where you go to restaurants and you you <laughs> review them in your own style yeah. that's humorous, and uh, you've got hilarious tweets. You're you're not laying around. You're. I try to be productive. I just feel that there's, I feel lazy. You know, I feel like there's an opus that I'm just ignoring or there's, I, I'm just not doing enough, you know? I don't have enough. I don't do enough. I'm yeah, not enough. Exactly. It's the, it is, <laughs> it's the darkness. Yeah. That is the mantra of the darkness. That's how the darkness meditates. Yeah. <laughs> you are not enough. That's exactly you don't. it. Um, it just says it over and over again and eventually feels relaxed because its job yeah. is done. So, and and probably the deepest fear of all is that, you know, I will never do it. I will never get that moment of inspiration and I will just, you know, uh, what's the word? Disappoint. Is it is it possible? And this thought occurred to me a uh, uh, when I was recording with somebody a little a little while back, because I'm the exact same way, and I think is it is it because we're always looking for home runs? Yeah. When in reality, life is a lot of bunting mm-hmm. and getting beaned in the head. Yeah, it is. It's. I think. I mean, I don't know, but yeah, I I don't want to write. I don't want to work a little bit every day on something. I want to sit down and write a perfect thing in one sitting and it's stupid and it's it's make-believe but that's the power what of for, what format would you most like to create in i wanted to write a novel for a really long time um and then i you know the problem is i really like writing jokes too um and there may be a way to combine the two you, you did in one of the blog pieces i read yeah i, I think i'm starting to figure it out Finding a voice that is me is hard when I don't know who I am. I think identity is a huge motif for me. I actually like writing about that a lot, which is the sort of like, uh, you know, the fluidity of identity. And like, you know, every second it changes because by virtue of the second before it. Um, And so when people say like, be your just be yourself nothing pisses me off more it's like i think it's the dumbest possible phrase of all time just be myself well okay like 
I'm doing it now and now and now, you know? I don't, I, I don't know. I don't even know I got off on this, but. I, I think it's a really important, <laughs> a really important topic because especially when we're numb, because we, we don't yeah. trust our integrity. We no. don't know who we are. You don't we just, trust yourself at all because you, you could be all the way up here and then the next second all the way down here. Who I am is your eyes. That's yeah. who I am. Yeah. Are you yeah, smiling? Yeah. <laughs> are you uh, repulsed? Right. That's, that's who I am yeah. if, I'm, if I'm not okay. And that's what supports group gave me was a, huh. sense, of, a sense of self. Um, I know I talk about them so much on this podcast. No, but that's good. I mean, you're convincing me right now. So we'll talk after after we're off the the mic because yeah. some of them shy away from you know um, publicity and media right. and stuff like that. And that's yeah. a lot of times why I don't get specific about what they are. But there's there's a, a gazillion uh, out there, yeah. and you don't have to have an addiction for uh, a lot of them. Uh, there, but there's just there's so much help there's yeah. so much help out there uh what are some other snapshots hmm um god i think there was a actually oh god i don't even know if i should talk about this no, then then absolutely because <laughs> that is the stuff that makes the show yeah when well when i was 17 I got very depressed. Did Janice Ian write about this? Oh my God, I'm so old. I don't know. Janice Ian had a song called At 17. <laughs> that is the saddest, Oh boy. mournful song. Oh God. You have, you've never heard it? No. When you go home, <laughs> YouTube it. Wow. Okay. You, you, if you don't cry, you will laugh. Oh, I'll cry. Okay. I will cry. You have um, to email me after you listen to it. <laughs> okay. In fact... I don't know if you could possibly do it, but while you're playing film, it on your film laptop, myself. film That's yourself really and funny, send me. Sad idea. Um, yeah, I I was at UC Santa Barbara at the time, and I didn't want to be in college, but I went because uh, that's what you did. And I was just utterly miserable, utterly miserable. I I was always young for my grades, so I was there. I was seventeen, and just every day spiraling deeper and deeper into not wanting to do anything um and i started to get really sick like just so sick and sort of like mono like um and my tonsils turned black like it was a crazy thing so i went to the doctor and he was like you don't have mono you don't have anything but your liver is really swollen you have tonsillitis you have all these symptoms and he was like, I think you are so depressed that your body is actually shutting down, which was crazy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I was really very unhappy. To Had you lost weight? No, I gained weight. Um, and I could, I remember I could only eat this certain granola bar because it didn't have flavor because anything that had a flavor made me sick. I was just like so grossed out. Um, but I could feel, and, and oftentimes when I'm depressed, I feel it in my throat, like someone's choking me. So that's how I started feeling sick was like someone choking me. I couldn't speak. I couldn't get the words out. And then my throat getting tighter and tighter until eventually I was like, oh, I actually have tonsillitis. Like, so I dropped out of school. Um, and that was huge for me because depression was never a part of my vocabulary before then um and 
I don't know. I um, I think I realized then that I I couldn't I couldn't force myself to do things. Um, I had to be certain about them before I did them, and uh, so you wouldn't make a mistake. So, yeah, exactly. Um, and then I was I didn't want to go back to school, but then we had this horrible day at my family's house, just the three of us, which makes for a very quiet household. Um, it was sort of more like a commune, I'd say, than like a family. Um, but uh, how so? We didn't do family dinners. Like everyone sort of just ate when they wanted to. My dad was a painter as well as being an actor. So he was always in his art studio. My mom's a musician. She would be doing her music stuff. I would be writing or sleeping or whatever. Um, But we had a blind dog that my mom would weirdly have nightmares about that the dog would drown. And it was this huge fear of hers. And then one day it was raining and... I don't, I don't know. I don't think she was home. I think it was just me and my dad home. And she came home and like, I was upstairs and just heard blood curdling screams that the dog had fallen in the pool and drowned. Um, which was, and I remember she brought the dog into the kitchen and there was just like water everywhere. And she was, I've never seen her like that. And then my dad was crying and it was just like such a, I don't know. How old were you? I was 20. I was 20 when that happened. And I think a lot of, I mean, it's embarrassing to talk about it, I think, because a lot of people will be like, okay, your fucking dog died. Who cares? No, I, that's tragic. It was very tragic. And, and to die in that way. Yeah. Oh, and, I would be inconsolable if that happened to one of my dogs. Yeah. It was traumatic to see both my parents that way, traumatic to see the dog that way. And. Had you never seen your parents express emotion that intensely? I'd never seen my mom get angry like that. She was very angry. At and, both of you? I or think just it, in general? I think all three, um, because she hadn't been there. Um, and then in the weeks afterwards, she was just a different person. Um, I think every the dynamic of my family just totally changed that day. And I was sort of like, I'm leaving. I this I, I, I want to be as far away as possible. So I applied to NYU and got in, moved to New York. And that's sort of where I start my life in my mind was when I got there. So like 21. Um, Did you have a good time? I had the best time. That's awesome. I also started taking Wellbutrin when I got there. So I think that had a lot to do with it. Um, but It can really help with vigor. It's been my saving grace. I mean, I'm still very tired, but it's it's the one thing that keeps my wheels running. Um, I, I mean, I also lost like 30 pounds when I started taking it, so that was that was great. <laughs> I keep I keep waiting for that to happen again, and it just it, I think it was that initial burst. But um, yeah, I went to NYU and I loved school there. I became like very academic and just. It was nice to feel uh, free, you know. Um, it was the first time I'd, I'd ever been that far from my family. I think it was a good thing. Um, but, you know, they're still your family. You always you always go home. So You do. I do. <laughs> I sure do. Um, and now we live in the same city and, you know, it's good. Give me some other seminal moments. <laughs> oh, do you feel like uh, you've you've plumbed? 
No, I'm, I mean, gosh. The harder the, to talk about, the better, yeah. I find. Hmm. I think the hard part for me is that there, there weren't that many huge moments, but I tend to like, uh, I'm, I, I have commitment issues, so I tend to like shed my skin a lot. Um, so I have sort of mini seminal moments, a lot of those throughout a year, you know, where I'll try something on and if I don't like it, I move on. I get rid of it. It's gone. I'm not going to go back. Um, like always searching for the right fit, which I think has a lot to do with that sort of like love sex thing. Um, and depression and depression because I just want to, it's like, I just want to be like everyone else, <laughs> even I though I feel inspired. Yeah. It's just how, how does the rest of the world do it? How do, how do, I, I would love to be able to transport myself into a thousand people, different people's bodies oh, yeah. for a day. To, just to, to feel. To, just to go. Yeah. Uh, do other people struggle with inspiration and feeling a part yeah. of? Um, I I feel like since I started going to support groups, I, I feel like I'm nine out of ten in terms of feeling a part of on, on most days. Yeah. But the inspiration part and feeling lazy. Yeah. I feel like uh, I'm one out of 10 mm. on that. It's it's hard. I mean, you, it's cool that you do this, though, because this is like, you know, it's it's something it's a series. So you have to be committed to it and you come in and you help people. I think it's a, probably a bigger deal than you give yourself credit for. Um, I, I feel like it's an important thing. Yeah, that, uh, it that affects I do. people. It does, but it also affects me deeply, yeah. deeply. And I think if it was just merely a service and I didn't, if I wasn't fed by it, right? Um, I think my depression would win huh. and I would, um, I don't know if I would stop doing it, but it would be an effort. Right. And it's not an effort. It it definitely comes from a place of wanting wanting to and needing to. Yeah. Needing. I need, I desperately need to be seen. I need to be heard. I need to be felt. Right. I've been that way my whole life. And I shut down until I got in support groups. I didn't huh. even know that that's what I was feeling. Yeah. And then I was seen and felt in support groups. And I went, oh my God, I can't believe I've missed this my whole life. Right. The only input I ever had was from therapists. Right. And that's certainly great for its for its own thing. Mm -hmm. But there's this other thing hmm. that is, um, at least for me, Yeah has been uh, mind-blowingly uh, transformative and freeing, incredibly so nice. freeing, yeah. Because, I mean, I don't really like talking to my friends about it or if there are certain people I open up to where I'm like, you know, I'm feeling really down lately and they'll sort of be like, ugh, me too, you know, I, ugh, like I ate a whole tub of hummus last night. I'm so depressed. And it's like, I think we're working on different levels here, you know, Um I get a little frustrated with maybe what Twitter has done to mental illness and it's become this sort of hot thing of like people think it's funny to wear sweatpants and eat pizza and it's like, God, I, I could be so lucky if my depression was eating pizza. You know, that sounds lovely. 
You know, um, I, I like to say that thinking you understand clinical depression because you've experienced sadness is like saying you understand Italy because you've been to the <laughs> Olive Garden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always uh, tried to explain it by telling people that uh, sadness is when you see a turtle on its back, but depression is being the turtle, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the best way I know how to that's describe it because you just, you can be sad for that thing, but you have no idea what it's like to not be able to flip yourself back up, to you know? To be it, to be the sadness. Yeah. And yet we're not, we're not the sadness, but when it's, when it's there and it's intense, we feel like that's who we are. Right. That's what we're experiencing, and I think it's important to embrace that, but it's not its not who we are. But tell your fucking dark brain that when it's <laughs> 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, it's dreidling all over the place, oh, my mind. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Any other seminal moments? Um, no, I mean, I think the, the last major one was just calling my engagement off and having to come to terms with the fact that, you know, my life could have gone in two different directions and one would be I'm a housewife and I don't have to find my own voice or career like I can relax and then making the choice that I know I wouldn't have been satisfied with that even though I have no fucking idea what <laughs> what else I should do. I think it's probably good you listen to your gut because it's pretty rare our gut steers us wrong. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, in retrospect, it was the right thing to do, but it was incredibly difficult. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't imagine. On top of that, he was an amazing guy. Like, I could be so lucky to have been with him. Was he um, somebody who was emotionally available and present? Yeah, he was. I well, mean, of course you broke it off. <laughs> <laughs> I know. He was actually a good person who was loving and understanding. Um but I just wasn't ready for that. I'm definitely going to give you the name of some support groups. <laughs> okay. I'm so going to give you some oh, name of I'm some excited. support groups. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything else before we do some uh, some fears and loves? No, I think did that's you it. did you prepare some fears and loves? I did. I feel like unfortunately I've covered a lot of them. Okay. Um, well, why don't you hit me with some of the ones where you feel like it's, it's something that we that we haven't covered. Okay. Um, oh, yeah. So one of my loves being... Can we do fears first? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. We can do a fear. Um, here's one. Uh, I'm afraid I'm never going to get another writing job except for the one I had, which was, you know, my dad was on that show. Mm -hmm. So I have a deep fear that I will never earn another writing position and that the only one I've ever earned is simply because of my father and not because of me. That, that's that seems like a um like anybody would have that yeah have that fear yeah like i'm never gonna make it on my own yeah exactly um and i i did have a very cruel person say to me you know you just got that job because of who your dad was and i think that that burrowed itself pretty deep. Who the fuck said, you don't have to give me their name, but who the fuck said that? Just a not nice person who was having a moment of weakness. Um, but unfortunately, it was... You can't unhear it. Yeah, I can't unhear it. And You share with them the most current joke you have on your Twitter feed. <laughs> I, I don't think... In, in, I, in case you're wondering yeah. uh, if I'm blowing smoke up her ass as to whether or not she is funny. 
Do you, you know the wh- joke I'm thinking of? No, which one? Um, about a groom. Oh, yeah, that's a good joke. <laughs> you know, it doesn't come up on the top of mine because it's a pinned tweet. Oh. But uh, what is it? I can't. Of course, I can't remember the full thing. Um, Whenever I hear a groom. Oh, yeah. It's I have no sympathy for grooms who say or who worry that this is the only vagina they'll have for the rest of their life because I have that fear every day. I think it's something like that. I live that nightmare nightmare every every day. day. Thank you. That was that was the joke. And the other and uh, your Twitter uh, description says, I like my guys like I like my light bulbs. Yeah, that's actually probably my favorite one was I I take my men like I take my light bulbs soft white and turned on by (laughs) ACDC. Yeah. (laughs) I like that joke. Yeah. Yeah, So, Uh, you know, I was worried that when we uh, record, because a lot of times with funny people, it I have to pull. Yeah. The the darkness out of them or the pain right out of them i don't know I, I feel bad i haven't been funny no i'm glad really i'm glad that that this is serious because i i you know i created this podcast specifically not to be a comedy podcast right. because i feel like i feel like humor is awesome in addition to vulnerability but so often with comedians it's in place of vulnerability right and and those are um i don't know those are those are the ones that it there needs to be something there. There needs to be that that foundation yeah. of of vulnerability. Yeah, and uh, I'm so glad that. Um, oh, good, because I feel bad. <laughs> I feel bad. I, like I I have that fear every time I walk away from doing um, a podcast where somebody like if they start to ask me a couple of serious questions, yeah. I get in this like this serious mode where I yeah. forget to lighten up. And when I walk away, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so fucking tediously serious. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's funny because I, I have this very weird insecurity that my therapist or, you know, I, I tell her I'm, I'm, I had a job writing comedy. I want to be a comedy writer that every time I leave a session, she's like, that girl wants to be a fucking comedy writer. That girl isn't funny at all. Like, is she kidding herself? Because she has no idea, you know, that side of me. Um, Because I don't have to, like, make light of it with her. And it's kind of a breath of fresh air. It's it's awesome. And the best writers that I know of are the ones that who who do have that deep, serious side to them, because then they have something to draw on. They're They're not always running away from it. Yeah, uh, I personally, having read some of your writing, I I think you would write a fantastic novel. Oh, and I thank think, you. I think you would, in the process of writing it, find answer a lot of those questions huh. you have about uh, about who who you are. That, yeah. that's just my 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 gut. No, that's feeling. really interesting and like I something maybe I needed to hear right now. And I think most writers experience that same thing and the process of writing introduces them to their inner life in a way that for instance this happens a a lot when people even just filling out the surveys uh, listeners will write i've never typed those words before Hmm. tears are running down my face right now yeah i didn't realize how important this was until i typed Mm -hmm. that last sentence yeah yeah isn't that crazy? It is. It's it's amazing how our brain will hide stuff. Oh my from god! Us to to 
you know, protect us. Yeah. I'm sure in, in terms of evolution, it was great because we needed to go hunt buffalo or, yeah. you know, thatch the hut. But um, is, that a, is, that a, is that a verb to thatch something? <laughs> I think so. It should it be. It is now. Yeah. It is. Um, yeah, I had that happen on Sunday where I told my... Oh, fuck. What, of course, I forgot what I told him exactly because I'm like blocking it out. But I told my boyfriend something along the lines of like, I just want somebody to care about me. And I started crying when I said it. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so pathetic. But I really mean it. Like, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. I just really was like, that is the raw truth. And I don't know how else to say it. I just want I want to be on somebody's radar. You uh, know? Do you not feel that you're on his? Oh, no, I know I am. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm an intense person. And it's not enough. I think I ask a lot of anybody who I'm with, although I do think I give a lot back to people. I, I'm a very complimentary, loving person, but uh, I don't know. I'm also a nightmare. <laughs> I'm, I'm a total nightmare, so who knows? That's so funny because you don't strike me as that, but... Well, that's how I get them, you know? <laughs> I come off like, oh, this chick's cool, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm crying because they didn't text me, so... <laughs> Who knows? Got some support groups. Right? Yep. <laughs> um, so hit me, hit me with some fears. Okay. Uh, another fear is, um, oh, I have, yeah, I have an incredible fear with my feet that as they get worse, I will become not disabled, but disfigured and unattractive and i have a lot of issues as a woman surrounding beauty i think that's like a huge thing for me because of my foot i just don't feel feminine don't feel sexy and i have this weird fear that like even if i get married now in 15 years i'm gonna be just haggard and twisted and nobody's going to want to stay with me and that I'm just going to end up alone. I mean, I think that's the bigger fear is just... You're going to be alone. I will be alone in the years that are, you know, that I want someone the most, um, especially since I'm an only child and not having any family. And I don't know. I That's a big one for me. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so... Well, you went deep on these. You really got to... Uh... Yeah. I, I, yeah, I mean, I think about it all the time, which is why I was so excited to come in because this is it's a huge part of my life. And even though it's painful, and this is actually part of, probably part of the problem, I enjoy trying to figure it out. So I do sit with it a lot and try to like uncover stones and say, why does this make me sad? Well, why does this make me happy? Well, why is that? Why is that? And like trying to go all the way down and just be honest about that is important for me and weirdly enjoyable because when I finally figure out something, it's it's a, like an amazing release, you know? For a long time, I thought I hated people, and then I realized, oh, no way, I'm actually very codependent. It's the exact opposite, you know? And that when I realized that, I was like, ah, oh, now I can move forward 
knowing that, you know? It's, so it's more that you're afraid of being hurt, let down, exactly. or abandoned exactly. by Exactly. And, and I was pushing people away subsequently, so... Maybe that's why we want to be in the bustle, but left alone, yeah. is, is because it's... Um, we're feeling the energy on a certain level, but it's not into the zone right. that's dangerous. Yeah. It's um, like, I'm going to quit before you fire me. Exactly. Exactly. And that's essentially yeah. what, like you were talking about your woodworking, you know, it's the same thing almost every day. Like, I'm going to quit before I fail. So bad, bad news there. Um, but yeah, that's a fear. Being alone. Aren't you supposed to do one? Uh, I can. <laughs> yeah. Can. Um. I'm afraid I talk too much about myself. That's funny because I just had to ask you, you know? You had to ask me what? To to say yeah. something. Yeah. Um Yeah, I just always have that fear when I when I share stuff about myself. Um that I'm making it all about hmm. all about me. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, as an outsider, not at all. You you need to listen to more episodes. <laughs> I've listened to a lot of them and I'm actually yeah. very uh, surprised by how, um, what's the word I'm looking for? You're a very good listener, you know, for being the host. I think that's a huge thing. But we're, I, I, I mean, I have that, that as well. Where do you think that comes from? Being afraid to talk about ourselves yeah. or, or wanting to talk about ourselves, but then afterwards beating ourselves oh up and going, God. oh, you fucking win, After a party, bag. just, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it comes from the, the, the critical voice in our head that's afraid of making a mistake, that mm. thinks that we are unlovable and we are going to leave some clue and we're going to be discovered yeah. for who we really are inside. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. by, and then when we think we've given it away, you know. That clue at the party he talks yeah. too much about himself. <laughs> oh, that's who he is. Yeah. He's that fucking pompous windbag or <laughs> Not you know, at all. What, whatever. Yeah. But I get it. Yeah. That uh, there's actually, there's this amazing, I mean, anyone, few things do make me feel better, but this is like this one little nugget that I found was in. Charlie Kaufman did a BAFTA speech um, about writing, and what is BAFTA? It's I I don't even know. It's a, something for writers, the screenwriters, mm -hmm. and he. I trust him because I think he is neurotic, and I think he goes deep. Um, but he said something about like you know if you're not going to like what you do, so you have to take that off the table and just know like. Yeah, you're not going to like it, but so what? What you create, you mean? Yeah. And and he said, he was like, but you have to remind yourself that you are all you have to offer and you want to offer something. And I keep, I mean, that's the one little mantra I have to keep saying because I was like, that's the one thing that I can't unravel because it's true. Like what you think you talk too much, but that's what you have, you know, that's like all you have to give is that, um, you go, but that's who you are. You talk too much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's when it, you know, it gets negative. But I, uh, whenever I really need to push, I try to remember what he said. Because, yeah, I, you know, we don't want to die leaving nothing behind. But this is it. Like, this is all we get. 
he had a line in adaptation that was like so synchronistic is that a word synchronistic yeah um I had done a Comedy Central half hour special and we taped it in in New York and I tanked. The audience either didn't understand that the first five minutes of my act was satire or they got it and didn't like it. And and I struggled uh, the next 25 minutes. And I was just like, oh, Jesus Christ. And like friends couldn't even lie to me that it was okay. They were like, yeah, that was pretty brutal. Um, and I went up to the hotel and adaptation was on. Wow. And almost immediately as I turned it on, the line w- was, who you are is not whether or not you're loved. It's what you love. Oh, you you are what you love, not what loves you. Yes. Yeah, that's one of my favorite lines. And And I was like... I so needed. I might wow. even cried when yeah. I heard that. Like, thank you, universe. Thank yeah. you for reminding me that I have no control over whether or not I'm loved. Isn't that a great scene? Just the whole story in that scene. Yeah. Yeah. He's an amazing writer. He is. I really love him. I think he's the only person I could possibly be starstruck by because I just think he's given so much. You know. So outside the box. Yeah. So outside the box. Um. Yeah. I'm glad you like that line. I like that line it, it's, too. It's, at least it's that night, it fucking line. saved me. Yeah. It fucking saved me. Um, give me another fear. Um, well, one fear, and what you kind of just said was that I have a fear that if anyone really knew who I was, they wouldn't love me. And I think that's, I mean, it feels kind of basic just to say it like that, but... You know, I mean, really who who I am, if that is a thing, is not a lovable not creature. Enough. Not yeah. enough to really truly deserve yeah. love. I often feel that, like, I was born damaged and, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do but sort of just get through life and then die one day. And, you know, what? like, maybe I was just never meant to succeed or have a family, or be happy. I mean, that's that's the very dark end of the spectrum, but it's also the very real end of the spectrum is just that maybe I just wasn't designed for that. And that is scary because it means it's just not possible, you know? I, I, I do, and I've struggled with that, um, but I, I believe that I've, I've won that argument in yeah. my in my head from the work that I've done yeah. mostly in mostly in the support groups <laughs> and um you, because you're a seeker that's the most important thing mm. people that aren't seekers uh I don't like their chances yeah but people that are seekers I like their chances a lot mm. a lot and that's as good as the Charlie Kaufman line. Yeah, what you just said. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's it's the it's the truth. Huh. Uh, Open mindedness and and being willing to seek and say I don't I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm open. That is, uh, in fact, I can't think of anybody who has not gotten a better quality hmm. uh, of emotional life. Who's who's a seeker and yeah. does things that are 
new and out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Because it was suggested by somebody. Yeah. I mean, the good news is, is whatever happens, like when you have these issues at the end of the day, your life won't have been boring. You know, like <laughs> That's very no true. matter what, at least it hasn't been boring. Yeah. If anything, it's been a little too all over the place, but whatever. There's it's... so many people with nine to five jobs that would love to have the variety, variety of, yeah. of <laughs> you know, the roller coaster. They, they, they want a roller coaster. They don't necessarily want emotional or um, uh, financial insecurity. Yeah. But, um, I just think back to the year that I worked at an insurance company hmm. and and I worked with awesome, super sweet people. But if I had had to work there for another 30 years... You could still be there, yeah. I could still be there. Yeah. It's, it's not, I don't necessarily deserve what i have i'm worthy of it right but it's not it's not owed to me <laughs> so i feel i feel very uh lucky and i think we should remind ourselves sometimes that even if there's insecurity in what we're doing that we're still you know you look at people picking garbage and yeah yeah you just think just just a roll of the dice that that's not me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, that's part of the, the difficulty is knowing that, like, you're incredibly lucky and... Still miserable. Still miserable, yeah. That's... But that's, you know... That would make an awesome T-shirt. I'm incredibly lucky yet miserable. <laughs> I think that's actually doable. I think that's a yeah. great t-shirt. Yeah. Get on it. I'm too lazy. <laughs> Mental illness t-shirts. I like yeah. that idea. There's a lot yeah. that, that I, w I would like to make t-shirts out of. A reversible shirt that just says manic and on the inside depressive <laughs> and whatever you're feeling, you can wear it. That's fantastic. That might be helpful. <laughs> uh, give me another fear. Oh, boy. Um, let's see. Or, or you can go to Love's if you want. Um. Well, I mean, I guess I'll go to loves, but it's attached to fears, kind of. Um, and it's really, it's actually embarrassing to say, so maybe that's a good thing. But I once wrote down a list of like the 50 happiest moments of my life because I had read that somewhere and, you know, I'm desperately seeking an identity. So I did it. And... I noticed that most of the happiest moments in my life were when I was dancing. Like, I used to love to go, you know, to a club or whatever and dance. Not really a club, but a bar. And just dance till I was, like, super sweaty by myself. Um, Get up on the counter like uh, the bar top, like Coyote <laughs> Ugly. No, I was not nearly that confident. But it was more just this feeling of weightlessness. And um, I think it had a lot to do with my feet. Because it was like this, even though I'm dancing, I'm not feeling my body anymore. It was a feeling of sort of like physical limitlessness. Um, and it's the only time outside of sex where I've been able to feel that. Um, and I think it is attached to fear in some ways because, you know, I can't always be dancing and I certainly can't always be having sex. So how do I achieve a feeling of lightness you know not levity but lightness mm -hmm. i think is the feeling i want most just i know there's the unbearable lightness of being but i i still like want it 
<laughs> that feeling where I just, I'm not aware. <laughs> Sounds nice, you know? Which is obviously why people drink and do things, but... Um, where do you think I would tell you I found moments of it? Drinking? Well, yeah, that, yeah but that was a false. Yeah. A false oh, one of Oh, support group? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I, and I get it every week. Hmm. I get that. I can go in in a terrible mood and yeah. very cynical, and I come out, and my battery's recharged. Huh. And now, there are tons of meetings, specific meetings, where I would not feel that way yeah. if I came out of it. I, I had to find the right ones. Right. Um, but. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean. It's it's weirdly like I said it's embarrassing to say that <laughs> that I like to dance and I just because it's like oh I I care about something and that's embarrassing you know to yeah. care but because that makes us vulnerable yeah we like something like oh that stupid idiot likes to dance what a loser we're putting I'm immediately behind. regretting saying it but it's it's the reality um, so that's that's a love there there is something so. I remember the only time I think I ever remember, the, I think the happiest, one of the happiest moments I ever felt, and sad to say I was drunk, um, but I went to a, a bar after I had done a comedy show, and the staff was there, and they were all really nice, and we were drunk, and we were jammed together on the dance floor. Mm. This is super embarrassing. <laughs> Mbop oh, was boy. playing. Yeah. And I just remember... Maybe because we were wedged in so, so tight, I right. felt like nobody could actually see me dancing. Mm -hmm. And I just remember f feeling euphoric. Yeah. And unselfconscious. Yeah. And unselfconscious. Yeah. I but, don't know what that is. It's, it's, a, it's a weird zen feeling because you're really just letting go of everything, including your body. I don't know. And your musical taste. Yeah, and your musical taste. I, and your I still, pride. I still yeah. stand by that song. I think it's a fucking great song. It's a song. great song. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, give me another love. Oh, man. Um, another love. It's, I, you know, I, I don't know. I. Are you out? I might be out. Okay. I, yeah. If people want to find you, they can go to uh, Table of One, not for one. No. Table of One uh, on Tumblr. Yeah. Uh, they can follow you on I am Maggie Mull uh, on Twitter, and Mull is M-U-L-L. Um, anything else? You have a YouTube channel. Yeah. There's a, a really adorable YouTube video <laughs> of Maggie playing the ukulele and singing. Uh, what's the name of the song again? It's uh, Let's Do It, Let's Fall in Love. Yeah, song. Let's yeah. Fall in Love. And uh, you're quite a ukulele player. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of chords, and really? you've got a, a beautiful voice. <laughs> beautiful voice. Yeah, it's very, very charming. So um, maybe I'll put a link to that when I, when I put this episode up. But All I really right. enjoyed talking to you. And I'm, I did, too. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad we got you on the, on the yeah, podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Many, many, many thanks, too. Well, I think that was one too many. Many thanks to uh, to Maggie Mull. Really enjoyed talking to her. And as you know, if I record something with somebody more than a couple of weeks in advance, I'd like to read a uh, an update to see how they're doing and to share that with uh, with the listeners. And so I emailed her, let her know her episode was going up, and she writes, um, 
I'm both excited and a little nervous to hear the podcast. It's been so long and I was so blue that night that I don't fully remember everything we discussed, but so be it. Uh, New updates. I'm still searching for TV work, but I have a few writing projects here and there, including an art project to draw a comic strip every day for a year. And that's at maggiemall.tumblr.com. The biggest development development in my life since we met is that I've been in a very happy, committed, monogamous relationship for the past few months, and I feel like I've really turned a corner on a lot of the relationship issues I was having. Depression still reigns, of course, but it's easier without all the shame and self-flagellation. Then again, the pendulum always swings, so who knows? And um, and she has not listened to the Jan- Janice Ian song at 17 yet. I hope she will at some point, because I'd love to... Uh, I'd love to hear what she thinks of it. Before we get to some surveys, I want to uh, remind you guys that there is a couple of different ways to support the podcast if you feel so inclined. You can go to our website, mentalpod.com, and make a one-time PayPal donation. Or my favorite, uh, sign up to become a recurring monthly donor for as little as five bucks a month. And it may not be much out of your pocket, but it means the world to the podcast. It helps it, and to me, it helps keep it going. And... um it's super simple to uh, to sign up. You can also shop through our Amazon search portal, and Amazon will give us a couple of nickels if you wind up buying anything. That's on our homepage right-hand side, about halfway down. And um, uh, there's something else. Who gives a shit? Let's get to Oh, you can support us non-financially by uh, um, spreading the word through social media. That, that definitely, definitely helps. Let's get to th- This is a uh, survey... This is from the being hospitalized survey. And this was filled out by a person, a guy who calls himself Joe Fixie. And he writes, first, I was amazed at how attentive, calm, and curious the doctors and nurses were. They were very detailed in the questions they asked and constantly recapped my information for confirmation of understanding. Secondly, having been in the emergency slash acute patient unit for nearly 24 hours, watching the change in energy within the room as each shift ended and a new one began, it was a fascinating experience in observing how different people cope with ongoing situations and challenges. Now, I know on the spectrum of people's experiences and being in psych wards, that's towards definitely the more positive end of the spectrum but i like to uh i like to cover the spectrum and uh and what we read on the on the show this is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself doubter and uh his awful moment wanting to buy rope to hang myself but then thinking about how that nice soft rope they use for rock climbing would be the best because it would be more comfortable than thinking that it would probably be too expensive. Then I started thinking about being in a store, buying the actual rope, and shopping around for the best deal. I don't know. Made me laugh. I didn't buy any rope. And we're glad you didn't. This is Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Fair Viola. And uh, she is bisexual. She's in her 20s. She was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, She writes, full of secrets. Um, Was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. She writes, a guy took advantage of me my first weekend of college. That's 
how I lost my virginity. I just started a new antidepressant and lost a bunch of weight, so I didn't know how much lower my alcohol tolerance was. I didn't black out and wasn't completely hammered, but I was still drunk and didn't consent and felt awful the whole time. But I didn't want to believe I was assaulted and laughed it off, but inside I always blamed myself and simultaneously thought of it as rape. She's been emotionally abused. Uh, I was in an abusive friendship for almost all of elementary and middle school. They bullied me. I wasn't allowed to have other friends, and everything I did was controlled by them. If I liked something different uh, than I was allowed, I was chastised, and they demanded I changed. Uh, I changed. They threatened to abandon me and made me believe no one would ever like me, and I'd be alone. I was ugly, and my body was wrong, they said. When we had sleepovers, I was sometimes forced to sleep in the closet. Holy shit. It's like it's like out of a roll doll uh, story. Um, any positive experiences with your abusers? I was best friends with my emotional abusers. As horrible as they were, I did have moments of joy and love and positivity with them. The boy that raped me convinced me to date him and was sweet and romantic, and I felt liked and happy and grew to have feelings for him. I never loved him, but I definitely cared deeply for him. He then dumped me unexpectedly after I had a had a panic attack when he tried to have sex with me. I was devastated, but mostly because I knew he cast me aside because of my unwillingness to have sex with him all the time. I was not comfortable with it, and it was extremely painful and embarrassing. I hated it. That's when I also began to realize that the first time we slept together wasn't just a stupid drunk mistake. I had been assaulted. Darkest thoughts. Lately, I've wanted to burn my face with a lighter. Uh, and I'm ashamed of my eating disorders. I'm deeply ashamed of my bulimia, especially that I spend every shower puking and forcing the vomit down the drain with my bare hands. I actually stand in my own vomit as I shampoo, praying it will not clog the pipes and just go down the drain. I don't want to have to explain if a family member finds finds me like that after I clog the plumbing in their bathroom on a family vacation." darkest secrets. I killed my pet fish. I starved it to death because its health was so poor and its life so sad. I couldn't deal with it next to my bed, and I think I did it out of anger, too. Uh, it was a pet for my college dorm, and my roommates abandoned him, dumped him uh, all on me. Let's see. Central fantasies most powerful to you. The idea of being ravished is something I fantasize about. It's a benign rape fantasy in a way. I also like bondage, but I don't like telling my partner uh, even. Uh, I just hope they are into kink as well and bring it up first. Well, what what if both of you feel that same way and you're together the rest of your lives <laughs> and on your mutual deathbeds, you look at each other and go, you know, I have to ask you, are you into kink? Yes, I am. Oh, fuck. Why didn't we bring that up 40 years ago? Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Sometimes I dream about asking to move in with my boyfriend, or if I'm really out of touch with reality, I dream about us getting married. And it's not... Uh, what I want, really. I don't know what I even think about marriage. I'm not a fan, really, and we've been together less than a year, and how can I know yet? What, if anything, do you wish for? I want to be a famous stage and screen actor, but not because I want to be famous. I just want the financial security. Um, well, then I would lose the stage actor <laughs> if you want financial security. Um, although I suppose if you were a famous stage actor... I wanted to dissect it more, Paul. Sweet mother of God. 
Um, have you shared these things with others? I'm too embarrassed and emotional. I'll feel vulnerable and stupid and greedy. Um, how do you feel after writing these things down? Sad, but also relieved to have finally told someone. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I don't know. I want to be helpful and wise, but nothing comes to mind. Thank you for that. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by uh, a trans male who calls himself Logan Barry. He's 17, and his awfulsome moment is, he writes, I don't know if this is necessarily an awfulsome moment, but I remember when I was still living with my mother's ex-boyfriend, who at the time uh, she was still dating and who had uh, also on multiple occasions been sexually abusive to me. Um, and he was watching the Super Bowl. I remember him yelling to the players on the field through the TV screen, and I remember sitting in the kitchen getting so frustrated. I walked over to him and said, they can't hear you, you know. He looked at me for a few seconds before responding with, just, uh, you're ruining it for me. And I laughed at him, which angered him more. But I wasn't laughing because I was ruining some football game for him. I was laughing because here was this man who ruined the parts of my childhood that my mother hadn't yet. This man who literally ruined my life was telling me that I was ruining a football game for him. And that made me laugh, but it hurt a lot too. So I guess it was an awful some moment. Thank you for that. This is a shame and secret survey, and this is filled out by a woman who calls herself Flux. And uh, she's bisexual, she's 18, and uh, she was raised in a stable and safe environment. So she claims, uh, never been sexually abused, um, not sure if she's been um, emotionally or physically abused. She writes, when I was depressed and suicidal, my dad would ignore it and tell me to stop acting like a drama queen or to stop putting on this fucking wounded swan act. Gee, do you think that might be emotionally abusive? <laughs> I'd say that's a 10 out of a 10 on emotional abuse. Uh, when he tried to teach me how to ride a bike, he would frequently yell at me about how much of a failure I was if I didn't learn. And you're not sure if this was emotional abuse. He has never expressed love for who I am towards me, but has only been proud of my achievements, making me feel like I always have to deserve love. Oh my God, that is such profound abandonment. Oh, any positive experiences with your abusers? As I wrote, I'm not sure... Uh, I have had good times with my dad, but they are mostly watching movies together and not talking. <laughs> Other times, such as fishing, have been objectively good, but I always felt I had to catch the biggest fish in the lake to make him proud. Your dad is a douche. Darkest, uh, hold on, let me have compassion for him. He's a wounded man who has still yet to develop tools to deal with his douchiness. Uh, darkest thoughts uh, that I should disappear just go as far as I can into the woods and kill myself and that my body would never be found I would never make an attempt at my own life because I love my mom and I know the suffering it would cause her darkest secrets I can't po point towards any traumatic events which I have kept as a secret um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you tying up a guy and fucking him in the ass with a strap on it makes me feel ashamed because it makes me feel like a gross person. Um, girls my age are not supposed to have fantasies like this. It also makes me very horny. Um, who gives a shit what what girls your age are, are 
fantasies are they're supposed to have or not have. Um, embrace it. Embrace it. Get your pegging on. Um, or would you say get your peg on? I think it'd be get your peg on. What, if anything, that you would you like to say to someone that you haven't been able to? I, I want to say to my dad that he has hurt me and that he's never made me feel loved, but I know he would not understand me. He would only get defensive and say I was overreacting. I want to see you push him out of the fucking fishing boat. That's what I want to see. And tell him to go catch a fish. I should have ended that better. There should have been something better than to go catch a fish. Um... What, if anything, do you wish for? Love, friendship, acceptance, and maybe a little bit of fame for my creative or intellectual endeavors. Uh, have you shared these things with others, except for the ass-fucking? <laughs> uh, how do you feel after writing these things down? Pretty good and a slight need to masturbate. Uh, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? That your emotions are always valid. Something happened to make you feel this way and your emotions are not something you should be shamed or reduced for. Amen. Amen. This is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, get this, cunt cake. She's in her 30s and she writes, I had to go to the gyno and have a medical procedure that I was not looking forward to. But really, who enjoys going to the gyno? No one. Anyhow, I get there and I'm mentally preparing myself for the inevitable panic and pain I'm about to feel. I'm one of the lucky women who can feel her cervix and I have crippling anxiety so that combo does not make for a relaxed vagina. I haven't seen this doctor in a long while because I normally see the nurse practitioners who are much nicer and less judgmental. I'm a non-married, sexually active woman in the Midwest, so doctors can be a bit twatty about my sex life. So, I'm laying there trying to calm, stay calm while the woman is prodding around in my lady parts. When she goes for my cervix, I yelp out in pain and say, I'm sorry, I can feel that. She replied, that didn't hurt. <sighs> Unbelievable. Little did I know that those three little words would send me into a two-hour-long PTSD rape flashback. My rapist said those very lovely words whilst raping me. But the thing is, I had never really given this rape the weight that it deserved. While it has severely fucked up my life in myriad ways, I've always felt that it was somehow my fault. Uh, I had had flashbacks before, but nothing this severe. I couldn't understand why it was happening. Anyhow, I started bawling, but she didn't stop the procedure. Once she was done, she kept on trying to ask me about my life to make me stop crying. Finally, she said, I'll leave the room. They always stop crying when I leave the room. Wow, she should have her fucking license revoked. So there I was, bottomless, sobbing on the gyno chair and not understanding why I was triggered. I say that's a good time for a selfie. It wasn't until later at lunch with my parents that I really realized what happened. This joke of a doctor treated me with no dignity and left me in a sobbing mess similar to my rapist. Um, once I realized this, I shouted out, oh, it was a rape flashback, just as the waitress was coming over to serve coffee. My mom and dad smiled and said, she's terrible. We love you. She should have known better. You're amazing, as the waiter tried to keep her composure while filling my empty mug with coffee. So thanks, bitch of a doctor. You helped me give weight to my rape, and I take it very seriously now. Uh, 
Thank fucking God for therapy and medication. Well, thank you for that cunt cake. The maybe that's a peek into how hard I am on myself because when I when I see the names that you guys give yourselves, I just always want to go, "Why are you so hard on yourself?" and then I get 9,000 emails from you guys telling me that I'm too hard on myself. This is from the babysitter survey, and this was filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Mama Monkey Butt, and she is female. Uh, she's bisexual. She's in her 30s, uh, never been sexually abused, and was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. And she writes about being a babysitter, other than the fact that I often masturbated after I put the kids I babysat to bed, often coming as the parents walked up the stairs. I once asked the four-year-old that I babysat to touch the penis of his nine-month-old brother. He looked at me questioningly, and I said, never mind, knowing that I, what I was asking was wrong and just an extension of what happened to me. That's weird because she had written that she'd never been sexually... Oh, outside of events described here. She'd never been sexually abused. Um, he looked at me questioningly and oh yeah, I made a very conscious choice not to hurt him that way. I still feel a little guilt over even having the thought, uh, though nothing came of it. And I don't believe either boy knows or remembers that this happened. I babysat them for many years and watched them both grow up. Today as adults, they both still say I was their favorite babysitter. I am proud of the men they've become and I'm glad I didn't follow through with my request and give them that pain to deal with for most of their lives. Uh, I never said a thing to anyone. I feel that it would ruin the relationship that I have with all the people who trust me. I've never even considered doing a thing like that again. I work with vulnerable children for my career and I'm very vigilant to watch um, for abuse from caregivers. Uh, remembering these things, what feelings come up. Uh, I know that what I thought of doing was related to what a cousin did to me when he was babysitting me when I was eight, which is in direct relationship to things he experienced with his father. At eight, I knew that my cousin asking me to touch his penis was wrong, and I'm glad I knew enough uh, that while I did touch him, I refused to take my underwear off for him. By the time I was 12, I confronted him and forgave him for what happened. I never forgot, though, and when we were older and someone brought up strip poker at a party we both attended, I reminded him there was no way I would be doing that because of what happened with him. It wasn't until we were fully adults and I had written many papers, talked to many people, and processed it over and over that he got married and that, and, and that he got married that I decided... On that day, as a silent gift to him, I would finally let it go. I love him now, and we have a typical cousin relationship. His wife gave birth to two beautiful girls in the last two and a half years, and I can't help but worry about them. I hope he, too, has processed what he's been through and what he's done to others. I wasn't the only cousin that he messed with, and um, and I hope he's healed uh, completely so that hurting those beautiful girls never occurs to him. Uh, let's see. Do you feel any damage was done? Uh, there was damage done, but I never allowed myself to feel victimized. Uh, I feel like I dealt with the issue as head on as I could. I told all the right people, processed it through so many channels that now at almost 40, I'm good. I was more sexually needy in high school than I might've been otherwise, but I feel I have moved past those things as well. Um... If you're a parent, has your experience influenced how you view your children being babysat? I've only had my children babysat by highly respected people, and my 12-year-old 
often as the babysitter to my four-year-old, the same age as I was when I made my silly request to a child. She doesn't have my past, and she has more good sense than I ever did. I trust her implicitly. Thank you for sharing that. This is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Sex Goddess. And she writes, when I was 16, I sent some nudes to a random to some random guys on the internet. It was exciting, but it also made me feel dirty and ashamed. One night, I was talking with my three closest friends and decided to take a plunge. I told them about the nudes. I expected them to be disgusted, but I was so wrong. They were super supportive and kind. That was the moment I realized that after being bullied for half my life, I had true friends who would never reject me. That's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. I love when we take that leap of faith and, you know, we share the thing that we were going to take to our grave and we're met with love and acceptance. It's it's better than any toy I've ever bought myself, any accomplishment I've ever achieved. It's that that is, I believe that that's what we're wired. We're absolutely wired to have those experiences with each other. This is a shame and secret survey, and this is filled out by a guy who calls himself Average Boring Idiot, so you know I'm a fan of his already. Not only am I a fan of his already, but I'm getting his newsletter. He is straight in his 30s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused. Um, not sure if he's been emotionally abused. Um he, he writes, I've never been emotionally abused, but I believe I've been emotionally neglected. Growing up, my parents and I never hugged, uh, spoke of our emotions, told each other we care for one another, or even had dinner together for that matter. Um, I'd say that's emotionally abusive. Uh, abject neglect is abuse. Uh, it wasn't until I was 10 or so uh, going to a friend's house and seeing a, quote, normal family interact at dinner that I realized my family dynamic was a tad off. My sister, mother, father, and I lived in our own townhome as four polite strangers strangers who happened to be placed there. My folks gave no hint that they even liked each other. They provided food, clothing, and a home. Now that I have a wife I love and two great daughters, I'm realizing how emotionally stunted I am and how that affected my prior relationships. Any positive experiences with your uh, abusers? We were never hungry, cold, uh, without the physical things kids need. We just lived as you would when staying with a friend of a friend. Talk was limited to how your day went, the ball game, etc. Darkest thoughts. My darkest thought is I'm afraid I still don't know what real love is. I married young, way too young, 18, and had my first kid at 19. I loved this woman and was sure I would grow old with her. Then our first anniversary hit and I realized I hated her family, her laugh, her face, even her stupid car. I've been so hell-bent on being that TV dad I thought I was supposed to be that when our usual Sunday morning fight broke out, shit hit the fan. Years later, I've grown up a bit, I've divorced, and I'm dating. I meet my current wife and quickly realize I never loved my ex-wife. I'm head over heels for this girl. We marry and years later have a daughter of our own. Problem is, I thought I loved my first wife, meet my current wife, and realized I never even liked the ex-wife and I love my current wife dearly. I fear one day I will meet another amazing woman and realize I only thought I loved my current wife. Essentially, it boils down to the grass is always greener scenario. Darkest secrets. It's no secret. 
I'm not a fan of my work. I was sent to the school therapist when they found out the mean notes someone had been writing to me about how I should die and I'm stupid that were in fact written by me, but no one knows why I hate myself. I'm a total asshole for admitting this, but I hate myself because I'm so fucking normal. I'm average in every way. I'm 5'10", 155 pounds, brown hair, average build, average income, three bed, two bath house in the fucking suburbs. There's people out there who've been abused in a way I can't imagine, been in horrific accidents that leave them affected in ways I can't even visualize. They have something to hate themselves over. I'm just some asshole who has a lot of what society says we should strive for, and I can't be bothered to enjoy any of it. There's nothing that makes me special, even though I don't feel it or want it. I'm John Doe, average American asshole. The only thing that makes me even remotely memorable is deep in me, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool liberal lefty living in a rather racially torn large city in middle America. And the only thing special about that is I'm surrounded by intolerant bigots. Put me in any city on the West Coast and I'm just a guy. Here I'm a, quote, nigger lover. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Jesus. That's not good when you make that noise to bend over to pick up paper. (laughs) Your funeral is just around the corner when you're making that noise. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. My wife and I are both subs, so myself not being worth enough to cause a fuss, I give in and am the dominant one in our relationship in bed. But if anything gets me going, it's the prototypical two women at once. It's so typical and boring, I won't even elaborate. It's like to be with a woman, uh, I'd like to be with a woman of color as well, but that conflicts with my we're all people outlook on the world. Color of skin should mean nothing about a person's worth or intelligence, but it does turn me on. It makes me feel like the big tit loving, trucker hat wearing, beer swilling, average machismo bullshit asshole that the NFL thinks we all are. I'm nowhere close to that, but I like what I like. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to know why my parents never aborted me. They were well under 20 when they had me and basically ruined their chance at a decent living before they were even fully functional human beings. I'm fucked up. My siblings are fucked up. Why did you do that to yourselves? I haven't asked them that because my parents and I have a friend-of-a-friend relationship which in a lot of ways is nice, I have to admit. When they die, I can't see myself crying or even feeling all that sad. How sad are you when your garbage man's cousin dies? What, if anything, do you wish for? I'm not worthy of being granted a wish, so why bother? If anything, I want to come into enough money to buy some property, a small house, and fulfill my wife's dream of opening a giant breed dog foster home slash shelter. Nothing but Great Danes, Mastiffs, Newfoundlands, Newfoundlands? Uh, wolfhounds, etc. I would die to make this happen for her. Have you shared these things with others? No. I verbally told my wife and daughters I love them a handful of times. I can write it down in notes to them, text and email it to them, but actually saying it is so hard and vulnerable. My brain is saying, tell them you love them now. You do, so just do it, you fucking coward. But between my brain and throat, things get weird and I just can't do it. I clam up and can't hold eye contact. How do you feel after writing these things down? The same. All this shit goes through my head 80 times a day. I can recite it backwards by now. 
Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences uh, as if I had anything to contribute to help anyone. Um, <laughs> any comments to make the podcast better? Tell the people who can't handle the bad language to go fuck themselves again for me. Well, thank you for sharing that. And man, I think you could really benefit from from going to therapy because I think that would help expand your emotional vocabulary. I can't even pronounce the word. What the fuck am I talking about? I think it would help you expand your emotional vocabulary and then it would be easier to tell your wife and your daughters that you love them. And um, you're so hard on yourself. I know, I know, ironic coming from me, but um, that's just, I think that would be the most important place that you could start. And don't underestimate how abandoned you were as a kid and who wouldn't be emotionally shut down and stunted? Who wouldn't be with the environment you were raised in? This is a happy moment by uh, a guy who calls himself Fruitsy Collins. And uh, his happy moment is, I raised, uh, I raised a pair of homing pigeons on my balcony. A few months ago, I was cleaning their loft when I found a pair of sl small, lightly spotted eggs in their nesting box. I spent the next few days reading everything I could on the internet about how long it takes for them to hatch and what needs to be done to take care of them. I got into the habit of taking the eggs from the nest and, quote, candling them, holding them above a small nightlight, cupping them in my hands to focus the light through them to see if any embryos were developing. After about a week of seeing small dark globs and not much else, I started to become dejected at the thought that perhaps the babies hadn't developed or died since it was an unusually cold California winter. After leaving the eggs alone for a few days, I tried candling them again, and after some adjustments to the lights, I finally saw it, large, dark shadows filling the eggs. Then, even more miraculously, tiny legs kicking away from them. I was so shocked, I nearly dropped the eggs while I exclaimed the obvious statement, there are fucking birds in there. With my depression, I'm not accustomed to the surge of happiness and vigor I felt in that moment, which I imagined was about one one-thousandth of what a parent feels when seeing an ultrasound of their child for the first time. I was awestruck by the weirdness of the fact that sticking two pigeons in a cage for a month resulted in some zygotes that grew and grew into these little birds I was looking at, normal as that's been for millions of years. I had in some way, some small way, created life and nurtured it into surviving a cold winter. The babies have since hatched and are doing very well. I've watched them on my balcony peep and flap their tiny wings as they awkwardly waddle and peck at their first solid food as I write this. Wow, that is so beautiful. Thank you, Fruitsy. Thank you. He's a, been a longtime supporter of the show, sending him some love. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by Tony. And he is straight. In his, he's in his 20s. He was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. Oh, it's much worse than that. It's much worse than a pretty dysfunctional environment. Um... <clears throat> ever been sexually abused some stuff happened but I don't know if it counts oh trust me it counts when I was young my mother would wait until my father had left for work or gone out drinking and then take me into her bedroom 
There, she would do things like strip me of my clothes while ordering me to stay perfectly still and put me in things like a leather jacket, a ripped-up pair of pants that exposed my genitals, or a blindfold, among other things. She used uh, electrical tape to put my hands either behind my back or in different positions and take pictures. She told me the pictures had to stay secret or else. She never touched me during this other than to move me into a pose, and so long as I stayed still, I was never hurt, and it stopped when I was about nine, so I don't know if that really counts as sexual abuse. I mean, she didn't touch me, so I'm not sure it counts. Wow. That just leaves me speechless. Just leaves me absolutely speechless. That, that, but I guess that's what our brains do. They, they minimize to, to protect us. Um, ever been uh, physically abused? Yes. Uh, my mother would sometimes reach out and slap me if I was being bad, uh, talking without being spoken to first or not obeying when she was taking her pictures of me. My father was a nice man, but when he was drunk, he would find something to explode about, often some minor infraction, like not, like not taking out the trash or having my room clean enough, and he would throw me to the ground. On multiple occasions, he threw me into a closet and locked me in for the night, and once locked me out of the house when I was 12. I always felt I deserved it, but more importantly, I told myself it was okay. It was okay because my parents both referred to me as a non-human, with my mother calling me a doll and a toy, while my father called me a monster and it instead of my name. So somehow I came to the conclusion that it was all right because they weren't doing these things because they were messed up. I just wasn't a person, and if they'd had a real kid, things would have been different. As an adult, I still find myself thinking that things people do that are mean-spirited are all right for this reason, and I have zero ability to discuss my childhood with anyone. I think this is the first time I've even typed this out in full. I tell myself I don't feel because it's easier to deal with that way. Any positive experiences with your abusers? My father was a very different person when he was sober. He often bought me expensive gifts. I'm not sure we could afford uh, gifts I'm not sure we could afford and praised my good grades in school. It was a strange way to live. Afraid of getting a gift because if anything happened to it, I would get yelled at for it when he was drunk, but loving the gift because it meant he cared at least enough to give me something. My mother was a seemingly normal mom other than her, quote, hobby of taking pictures of me and supported my interest from an early age, um, from early on in being a lawyer. She would often help me with my homework and sometimes things felt like they were okay or going to change. Darkest thoughts. I thought about running away when I was a kid and trying to live in the forest. I knew I might die, but I fantasized about that too. Dying far away in the cold winter forest where things looked beautiful and no one would come to drag me back home. Often nowadays, I find myself fantasizing about cutting myself, even though I already do so with alarming frequency. I think about cutting every inch of myself, leaving scars on everything so no one would ever want a picture or tell me I was fine ever again. I think about cutting myself with a scalpel and carving words into my stomach. It's humiliating because I'm nearly 30 and I thought I'd be over this by now. I started cutting when I was 12 and have tried to quit, but secretly I get comfort out of running a hand down my arms or legs and feeling the ridges from the deeper cuts like they're proof of my humanity. This is one of the deepest surveys I think I have ever, and, and just, um, 
yeah, sometimes some of these just leave me speechless. Uh, Darkest Secrets. I started stealing money from my parents when I was fairly young just to stop my dad's drinking. When that didn't work, I kept doing it so I could have a way to hurt them in the only place it seemed like it mattered to them. Eventually, I used the money to try and buy a prostitute. I say try because I ended up crying when the woman touched me, and I got too worked up by everything that had happened in the past to even consider sex. Instead, I asked if she wouldn't mind just staying while I got it out of my system. She held me and asked a couple of questions. I managed to nod when she asked if someone had hurt me sexually. I feel completely pathetic thinking about it, and I can't believe I've become this successful guy who can't even manage to be intimate with someone, even if I paid for it. I hope you understand how violated you were, how completely violated you were, and that you are the the way that you are reacting is normal. What happened to you was abnormal. Uh, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm afraid of sex. I'm afraid of having sexual fantasies. When I have dreams about it, probably from repressing all sexual thoughts during my waking hours, it's always some kind of scenario with a coworker. We'll be somewhere and they'll suddenly put the moves on me and I'll be the only thing that matters to them, the center of their universe, and everything about me will be perfect to them. It borders on worship and when I wake up from it, I feel ashamed for getting aroused, thinking of people being that degraded and cut myself as punishment but that doesn't stop the dreams from coming back what if anything do you wish for i really want to be able to open up to someone completely and totally lay out all my problems and not get rejected i don't need the creepy level of worship in my dreams i just need someone to know everything that's wrong with me and still love me and want to be with me i want a romantic relationship more than anything in the world but i can't open enough open up enough to have one and it kills me Have you shared these things with others? I haven't. I've made therapist appointments and then canceled. I've thought about some kind of forum, but I just can't. The fear of anyone finding out at the law firm where I work makes me lock up, and I just don't know if I can take being looked at as the young fuck-up instead of the young up-and-comer with a really good record. I want so badly to get help, but I want even more badly to get recognition and praise from other people, and that's so stupid when I type it out, but it's the truth. I so encourage you to go get therapy. I so encourage you. You you would benefit from it so much and there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear from going to therapy and I really encourage you to see someone who specializes in sexual trauma. Uh, How do you feel after writing these things down? Confused. I thought I could type this down anonymously without it tearing me apart, but I'm crying. And I feel a little better at the same time. There's a lot of cognitive and emotional dissonance going on in my head right now. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Don't be like me. Get help. Don't condemn yourself to a prison cell inside your own head. There's an exit if you can just manage to walk through it. And it may not lead to the promised land, but it'll lead to a better place. Any comments to make the podcast better? Try to work the word interglacial into your conversation with someone you've interviewed, uh, you're interviewing in a natural manner. No, seriously. I really want to hear the kind of fucked up metaphor you'd have to come up with to get that to work. Well, interglacial is when two glaciers get it on, right? Ugh. I think I just matched your level of self-loathing right there. Buddy, I just want to send you the biggest, warmest hug. And I, 
I know that every listener that just heard me read that survey wants to reach out and give you a hug. Oh, at that it's heartbreaking to see that help is available to you, but you're afraid. Take that plunge. Take that plunge. Trust us. Trust us. And I just don't even know what to say other than that. But we're sending you some love. This is, well, this is a perfect one to read after that. This is by a woman uh, who calls herself, Damn, Human Connection Feels Good. And she writes, I recently started seeing a new therapist and wanted to share a couple of moments that made me know she was a great fit in helping me with my depression, anxiety, and OCD. During our first session, as I was giving my mental health narrative that I've told many times, she asked me to pause and just take a moment for us both to breathe and take a break for a moment. She said, excuse me, she said my energy seemed a bit anxious, so we practiced taking a few deep, slow breaths together. I've never had a therapist do this with me in the middle of a session. I've been talking fast and definitely was anxious, but hadn't even realized it because I was so focused in telling her everything and not messing up my carefully crafted narrative. After a few moments of breathing, I felt my body relax into the chair and felt a calm focus as we looked at each other. It felt wonderful to know that someone I just met was so good at her job that she could help me before I even realized I needed help. The second happy moment occurred the next time I saw her. She'd given me the homework of writing down when I had obsessive thoughts, when I did compulsions, and how long they lasted. I was dropping off the sheet so she could look over, uh, look it over before our next session and was feeling nervous and ashamed to show her. She glanced over at the sheet for a moment and then looked me in the eyes. She said with a confident and encouraging smile on her face, we're going to beat this. I responded that I hoped she was right and she gave me a high five. It was such a simple thing, but made me feel so connected, heard, and encouraged. She wiped away my shame and anxiety in that 30-second-plus interaction. I've never felt so confident about a therapist before. I'm 21, and I've seen five previous therapists in the last couple years. I wanted to share to hopefully show others who are struggling that there are some truly amazing therapists out there, and they're worth the trouble of looking. Well... I hope Tony from our previous survey listens to this episode and hears that and that gives him the nudge or anybody else out there. This is a, finally, this is a happy moment I wanted to share. And this is filled out by a woman who calls herself shitty mom. I don't think she's a shitty mom. She writes, my 11 year old son was washing some dishes. She writes, don't ask why. It's a whole other story. He was wearing rubber gloves and the heavy glass baking dish he was holding fell into the sink and smashed into many pieces. He got scared and his first reaction was, I guess I'll have to pay for it from my own money. My heart broke. Uh, My heart broke to hear him say that. I calmly told him that it wasn't his fault and he doesn't have to pay. In fact, I added, our tradition holds that one break when one breaks glass, it's a sign of good things to come and he shouldn't feel bad. Then my husband, who was near us and was listening, took the hands of some of the kids, remember, I'm the one with the five kids, and started dancing in the middle of the kitchen, celebrating the good things to come. We cleaned up and into the garbage went the pieces of broken glass and any remaining tension and fear from my son. 
That evening at the supper table, the kids were in an especially good mood, and I can only guess that it was a result of the adults' reaction earlier. It's small moments like these that I hope my kids will remember, along with all this shitty stuff. I love that. I just fucking love that. That's just so... That's just so human and beautiful and... Um, so many moments in this episode just um, left me have left me at a loss for words. So maybe maybe this is a good sign to wrap this fucking thing up. Anyway, I hope if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, you know that there's help and there's hope if you can just get out of your comfort zone and and ask for it. And I hope listening to this episode, you know that you're not alone. You're in no way alone. You never have been and you never will be. Um, it's just whether or not you realize it. And um, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.